This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So you want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall rock climbing Libra, and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble. edition of the Michael Deacon program. We've got another phenomenal show for all of you here this evening. Timing is and will be everything. In a moment, Captain Dan Handley makes his return and of course making his debut is Mr. Doug Green. Mr. Handley was terminated by United Airlines in 2003 for speaking out on issues surrounding 9-11. Captain Green is an American veteran held hostage by a broken U.S. justice system who was forced overseas after being denied his day in court. Stick around after the interview. We have some rather disturbing audio to share with all of you out there. You don't want to miss it if it's true. We have a bombshell on our hands, folks. Now let's get down to business and bring in our guests and i believe everyone is ready uh mike are you with us hello there he is and dan are you out there i'm here uh michael thank you for having me on the program again no problem and of course we do have mr doug green what's going on doug hi michael doug green it's nice to be here with you very nice very nice gentlemen i'm so glad all of you are here and doug and dan i must say this is a confession you both are not here by accident. I picked this date specifically because of Osama bin Laden. Ah. It's the reunion. Ah. So this okay. was no coincidence. I mean, I brought you here for a reason, no doubt. And the date says it all, Captain. Yeah. Oh, yes. I didn't realize that. Oh, yes. Timing is everything. So, gentlemen, thank you so much for being here. I've been looking forward to this. As always, we've got... A full house, ladies and gentlemen, plenty of ground to cover. And of course, I wanted to start with a brief introduction with uh, both of you gentlemen. And let's begin with Captain Dan Hanley. Um, Dan, let's start with you. Tell us a little bit about yourself and how you sort of got into this web of drama, my friend. Okay, well, I've been on the program before, so some of you may have heard all this before. Right. But for those of you who haven't... uh, I was a pilot my entire working life. I commenced flying over 50 years ago in 1968 at age 19, 
first as a civilian where I acquired my private commercial instrument and multi-engine rating by 1970, finished college, and in 1973 with the Vietnam War still raging, I had to make service plans, so I chose naval aviation. And over the next 10 years, I flew the four-engine uh, turboprop, a P-3 Orion, that was used by the uh, U.S. Navy to track Soviet submarines during the Cold War. In 1978, I was hired uh, by United Airlines as a pilot, and over the course of the next 25 years, I flew uh, seven different aircraft. So all total, over a 35-year career span, I flew uh, 15 different aircraft, accruing uh, over 20,000 flight hours. Uh, as you mentioned, and we can talk about it later, Michael, uh, I was illegally grounded uh, as a pilot, as Michael had mentioned, and right. we can talk about specifics a little bit later. Michael, would you want me to go on and talk about what I currently serve as right now, or would you want to bring Doug on? Oh, continue for a moment here. It's okay. We, we have lots of time. Okay. Okay. Well, I, I presently live in Islamabad, Pakistan. Some people think because I'm somewhat controversial that I'm hiding out over here and nothing could be further from the truth. I met, fell in love with, and married a Pakistani in 2010, and I've lived here ever since. But, uh, I currently serve as the director and international public spokesperson for a global grassroots effort called 9-11 Pilot Whistleblowers. And we got a website at 911pilot.org and a YouTube channel at 911pilots uh, if you want to check that out. But the purpose of our organization is to show that there were no Muslim hijackers at the controls of the 9-11 aircraft. I want to stop you right there really quickly, Dan, and say that is something most people out there, when they hear it the first time initially, they think, what on earth is this man talking about? He must be insane. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Yes. Sure. But bear bear with me because I can uh, run us through our website and some of the information there, and I can assure you that we have uh, facts and information to back our assertions here. But uh, that's our, our purpose is to show there were no Muslim hijackers at the control of the 9-11 aircraft, but that the aircraft were electronically hijacked through employment of a system called the uninterruptible autopilot that enables a remote source to take complete control of the aircraft autopilot and flight management computer and guide it to its uh, target destination. Now, once this system is engaged, the pilots can no longer disconnect it. They're along for the ride. Uh, the goal of our organization is to recruit, and this is an ongoing process, we're recruiting active and retired civilian and military pilots from around the world who will testify on camera or attest to the fact that not only could these alleged Muslim hijackers not have flown the aircraft and the flight profiles, but that they could not have flown them themselves. And we're having some difficulty recruiting pilots because we can talk about what happens to whistleblowing pilots uh, in the industry as we get into the program. But there's over 300,000 pilots in the world. It sounds like a big number, but it isn't when you compare it to the global population. But they're either afraid to speak out for fear of losing their job, right. or they say it's, a, it's been over 20 years ago. It's old. It's an old story. I'm not interested. And they, they walk away from me, so walk away from me. So uh, where are we going with this? Well, two-pronged attack. There's a a group called the Lawyers Committee for 9-11 Inquiry, and they got together with the largest whistleblowers in the world and compiled 57 evidence packages and presented it to a U.S. attorney in New York uh, 
forcing him to convene a grand jury investigation into their allegations that World Trade Center buildings one, two, and seven, and yes, there was a third building that came down that day, were brought down by controlled demolition and not by jet aircraft impact damages or the fuel fires that ensued. So where is that right now? The Department of Justice is trying to stonewall them big time because it's an open, closed case. It's a slam dunk. If they ever got their information before a grand jury, it would prove conclusively that the buildings were brought down by controlled demolition and blow the holy hell out of the, the official story. So we're talking with the lawyers committee. They're not presently representing us legally. Uh, they told us that we're in the dugout right now, waiting our turn and bad. But that's our intent is to compile this testimony from pilots and other evidence and submit it to a U.S. attorney so that we can force a grand jury investigation into our allegation. And then the other, this is part of the reason I wanted to come on, Michael, briefly, right. to talk about the FAA and what's happening. Uh, in August, on behalf of the organization, I filed a whistleblower report via the FAA hotline. It was an electronic submission, and I included a lot of information to back our assertions uh, and regarding the uninterruptible autopilot. And I got an email received acknowledging they had received my report. And I thought, good, I got my foot in the door. And about a week later, I get an email from an aeronaut, FAA aeronautical engineer in uh, Seattle who said that he was going to be my point of contact and he wanted to set up a conference call with him and another gen and myself the next day. You know, well, long story short, the next day he cancels on me. Uh, and saying that he, they didn't realize the depth and breadth of the information that we had provided them with. So I responded that with that email with additional information and called the guy and talked to him for about 10 minutes. Nice guy, but he was very uh, tight-lipped, didn't want to say too much. Well, that was the last conversation I had. He didn't respond to any emails. Uh, so I wrote his boss in uh, Washington, D.C., who didn't respond to me, but turned it back over to the FAA hotline. The FAA hotline turns around and sends me an email saying, quoting two FAA whistleblower reports by number, uh, saying that this has already been addressed and that the un the system, they wouldn't even refer to the uninterrupted law, but the system your address is no longer in the airplane. Well, I did a Freedom of Information Act request on the two uh, whistleblower report. One of them didn't exist and the other one was totally irrelevant. So while we're, we're getting stonewalled by the FAA, not surprising because we believe we're right over target with our story uh, of, of, uh, regarding the uninterruptible autopilot. So a couple of weeks ago, I sent certified letters to the uh, Director of National Intelligence, the uh, Secretary of Transportation, the Attorney General and the FBI Director certified mail requesting that they join us in this investigation. And I pointed out that we were currently being stonewalled by the FAA. So we've got a petition out there. It's not on our website yet, but we're trying to get people to join us on our, uh, on our website and sign the petition. But uh, that's where we are with the lawyers committee and the FAA. But uh, real quick, I'm almost done here. Uh, if you go to our website at 911pilots.org, you'll see that we cover the differences in size between a Cessna 172 that the hijackers trained in and a 767. Uh, photo comparison of the cockpit differences of the two aircraft. We do a profile on the hijackers, 
And then if you go to a remote control page, it goes into detail about the history of remote control aircraft. And if I could, I'll just throw a quick over what's on that page. Most people say, you're crazy, you can't remotely control a large commercial jet aircraft, but they will be surprised to discover that over 75 years ago in 1944, at the close of World War II, the US military launched Operation Aphrodite in Europe where they gutted out old B-17s to lighten the weight of the aircraft and loaded them with 30,000 pounds of a highly incendiary compound called Torpex. And pilots were required to make the takeoff, but once they got airborne, they bailed out of the airplane and these airplanes were remotely guided to target in Europe. Now that was over 75 years ago, and we only cite two examples on the website, but there's, there's many more. But if you jump ahead 40 years to 1984, uh, NASA and the FAA conducted a joint crash test experiment using a large four-engine commercial jet, a Boeing 720, loaded with crash dummies and cameras because they wanted to test crew and passenger survivability in the event of a crash landing. What they did was took off this uh, four-engine jet by remote control, flew it around the pattern four times, six times in the auto landing and before they intentionally crash landed. We got a film of it on there. Now, if you jump ahead to the mid-90s, the system that I mentioned at the beginning, this uninterruptible autopilot system, we have proof that this system was developed in the mid-90s prior to 9-11. And it does exactly what we were talking about. It takes control of the autopilot and flight management computers and can remotely control the aircraft to guide it a course, altitude, and speed into any target they, they have programmed into the system. So there's a 45-minute audio recording of an interview of a, a avionics technician called named Wayne Anderson uh, that he he actually worked on the system in 1996 and 97, and he goes into detail exactly what it does. So uh, if you look, Doug, the uh, other guest on the program, was one of the pilots we interviewed. And I wish I could play some of the pilot interviews uh, right now, just so you could hear their testimony as to why it was impossible for these inexperienced uh, pilots that flown the aircraft. And we can talk about that a little bit later. So I'm almost wrapping it up here. I'm, I'll just point out, I'm, I'm retired. I just turned 72 years old and people say, why are you still doing this? It's 20 years ago, let it go. But I'm sorry, there's never been an investigation into 9-11. It's the largest crime ever committed on American soil in its history. And people think the 9-11 commission constituted a criminal investigation. It did not and not one pilot was permitted to testify before the 9-11 Commission as to the absurdity of this ludicrous notion that these pilots uh, flew those aircraft, those hijackers flew those aircraft. So uh, the other reason I'm personally doing this is that the uh, subhuman, mo sub subhuman mobsters, I call them, that planned and executed 9-11 are still at large. It wasn't Osama bin Laden and 19 angry hijackers. We all know that. We're not just doing this for the 2,977 innocents that were murdered in the U.S. on 9-11, but also for the millions of Muslims and others who have, been, have died, been maimed, or displaced as a result of the illegal and unwarranted wars based on the lines of 9-11. So uh, I'm in it for the uh, 
I'm in it for the duration of my life. I I feel like it, it's such a heinous crime, and so many people have suffered that I, I, I have to speak out. So thank you for giving me time to say all that, Michael. Understood. And before we throw it back over, well, before we throw it to Doug, Mr. Doug Green here, um, I did want to ask you one question, Dan, and I, I'm pretty sure I know the answer, but of course you were terminated by United Airlines in 2003. And I must right. ask you, now in 2021, do you at all have any regret going down the route you have gone? Uh, only the way I did it. I still would have spoken out and said the things that I did, but I might have handled it a little a bit little different. different. I see. I mean, I, go ahead. I was just saying you would, have, you would have handled it slightly different than you did initially. Right. I see. I, I, was, na- I was naive back then. You got to realize that 2002, 2003, and we all didn't realize the police state that was evolving at the time. And I still foolishly believe that we had a government. I believe that I had laws and regulations to protect me, but more importantly, institutions of government that would investigate my claims, and I hadn't either. So, uh, yeah, in retrospect, if I knew back then what I know now, I definitely would have handled it differently. Understood. Uh, and one more thing I want to mention, Michael, if people want to know details rather than going to a lengthy expose of what happened to me in 2003, if you go to our website at 911pilot.org, there's an About Dan Hanley page. If you go to that and scroll to the bottom, there's a lengthy affidavit that goes into detail about the uh, hideous way they got rid of me. Oh, yes. It's a very uh, similar tale for lots of folks out there who... Uh, step out there and let their voice be heard on certain subjects. I, I think Doug was talking there. I'm sorry if I cut you off. No, I, I or was said, that uh, Mike? no pun intended when he said uh, something hideous happened. Oh, yes. No yes. <laughs> right. <laughs> sorry. I, I know it was a sorry serious mode, moment. I didn't want to break the ice too badly. <laughs> very nice. Very nice. And, of course, we do have Mike Hideous here, the co-host of the program. We love Mike. A lot here, of course. We appreciate it. Somebody does. Yes, we appreciate you here, Mike. Go ahead and say hello to everyone. Hello, everyone. You guys can (laughs) say hi. It's okay. Don't worry. He's not going to bite you. It's okay. Very nice. But yes, it's good. It's all. Everybody knows who I am. So on the show by this point, so it's all good. Very nice. And of course, the birds are singing in the background. Love that. And uh, Doug, are you with (laughs) us now? I am. There he is. And Doug, as a preamble, I want you to sort of walk us through your background a little bit, of course, and tell us your recollection of the morning of 9-11, of course. Well, you know, we have this conversation. Always fun to sort of highlight that as everyone's morning was pretty chaotic. Uh, Go ahead, Doug. Yes, it was. That's for sure. Let me just give you a little background in my history. Yes, sir. Uh, I'm, I'm originally... Uh, I'm originally from Michigan. I grew up there as a child, and then I went into the Air Force in uh, 1980. And I initially went in as an air traffic controller, and uh, after I was in the Air Force for four years, I got out of the Air Force. I was going to college while I was in the Air Force, and then I went to school full-time, after which I was offered a job with the FAA as an air traffic controller. I went to the Mike Monroe Aeronautical Center in Oklahoma City, completed the program, and then uh, after which I went out to California, where you are, Michael, uh, up there in the uh, Antelope Valley in Palmdale, California. Oh, nice. Located near Air Force Plan 42, where Los Angeles Center is located. Word. And I spent some time there. I found out about opportunities in the uh, Air National Guard. Uh, I was already flying as a private pilot out at the Edwards Air Force Base Aero Club. 
And uh, when I found out about opportunities to go back into the Air Force and to go to officer's training and pilot training, I immediately took advantage of that. I went to uh, Vance Air Force Base and I checked out as a distinguished graduate from both officer's training and pilot training. And then I went on to uh, I went on to my primary aircraft in the A-37 light attack airplane. I flew the A-37 for about four years, after which I uh, transitioned to the C-130 Hercules, and I was stationed at units all over the country, and I spent time overseas in Central and South America, Panama Air Force Base, in Germany, flying NATO exercises all across uh, Europe and other parts of the world. And uh, so I had an extensive year, um, I had I had an extensive uh, time of service. I was actually in the Middle East. Uh, I, was, I was stationed at Prince Sultan Air Base in uh, Riyadh, Saudi Arabia. Uh, I was stationed um, at so many different places. Wow. It would take a long time to highlight all those. But nonetheless, I was also working contemporaneously in the civilian community as a pilot. Once I had enough flying time, I initially got a job flying a Learjet, a Lear 23, flew Falcon 20s after that. And then I was hired at United Parcel Service. And that's why I'm in this in this fight, um, to restore some sense of justice and reality to a world that we were all naive, we all are naive sometimes in believing in, and our sacred institutions and regulatory agencies to only find out that they don't exist. And after 22 years of service in the Air Force, serving to defend the uh, uh, to protect the security and freedoms of the American people, I was greatly disappointed to see that these institutions are just a notion and they don't exist. But nonetheless, at UPS, I flew the DC-8 as a flight engineer, a first officer. I uh, also flew the Boeing 747, 100, 200. I transitioned to a captain on the Boeing 757, 767. I flew the Boeing MD-11. And who was acquired by Boeing um, at some point when the two companies merged. And then eventually I transitioned to the Boeing 747-400. And then in 2013, I, was, I, I had been targeted by UPS because I was against the corruption of the union uh, supporting the company against labor. And they're embezzling millions of dollars of membership dues to support the company's labor containment program against the pilots. And so therefore, because I used a four-letter word called ALPA, Airline Pilots Association, I got a target on my back since 2011 at UPS, and UPS managers affirmed that to be true. And so I was constantly living in fear for my job, and in 2013, after they built a fraudulent case against me, manufacturing false facts, and coercing pilots that were involved in the substance abuse program that had undisclosed DUIs to the FAA and other pilots that had sold tens of thousands of dollars in fraudulent moving expenses to lie about me. I have irrefutable proof, evidence beyond reasonable doubt that all of this is true. I have depositions, I have audio files, I have 6,000 pages of discovery that was withheld from us until 24 hours before an arbitration hearing on purpose. And so they basically set me up very similar to the way they tried to set Dan up, except I wouldn't entertain it. So they fired me for insubordination oh after my. 20 years of service. And unfortunately, this corporate culture at UPS has existed for quite some time. And many people just aren't aware of it because most of their tragedies and their crashes with aircraft and their massacres at gateways 
from Birmingham, Alabama to San Francisco, California, to a potential mass in Sunnyvale, California. Um, it's because of a corporate culture that targets employees and they spend more time in court than they do delivering packages. And unfortunately, they are the law. I've come to realize they are the law, they own the law. They're Mitch McConnell's fourth largest dark money donor and Mitch McConnell's the grand master. So, it, so after 2013, I was on the street and the justice system was broke, the regulatory agencies didn't work, whistleblower complaints were failed, DOL investigators that had investigated other similar airline pilots cases to include myself, Mike Protak, Carl Suring, Carlene Pettit, by an investigator named Paul McDevitt at the DOL Seattle office. He didn't investigate a single thing. He violated the inspector general's eight elements of essential investigations. He never interviewed witnesses. Uh, it, we did a Freedom of Information Act request, and we showed that this guy had undisclosed things to the FAA, and then the FAA just rubber-stamped a fraudulent investigation. This guy never investigated a single adverse witness that all lied about me, and I have irrefutable proof that they did. And these pilots know they lied about me, and I'm sure they're terrified to hear me on this radio show. Really? So nonetheless, in 2013, I didn't give up my tenacity to continue with my profession. They went out of their way to blackball me, uh, no matter where I went. But luckily, I was able to sell myself and my skills and my talents and my professionalism. And I worked for another airline from the United States based in uh, Liège, Belgium. And then I eventually moved over to Germany. And now I'm working uh, far, far away from the United States, flying Boeing 777s for the past six years. I've accumulated over 3,000 hours. I have a perfect, flawless record uh, in aviation. I, like Dan, I never failed a medical exam. I never failed a single check ride. Uh, I have a perfect record. They know it. And, and they're, they're trying to cover up the cover up. Uh, it's, they spent millions of dollars to keep this case out of court. And so um, that's why I'm in this fight. I want to restore some sense of decency to our uh, sacred institutions, our justice system, and our regulatory agencies that no longer exist. And so uh, to answer your question about 9-11, yeah. that was a very memorable experience for me. I'll never forget that day. I was on a UPS flight. I'd taken off out of Louisville, Kentucky on a Boeing 747-200 as first officer. And we were en route to Anchorage, Alaska, where I used to be based and lived as a, when I was a captain on the 747-400. And uh, we, we were flying across the uh, Yukon uh, in Canada. And um, I was listening to some tuning in some NDB, non-directional beacon uh, radio stations. And I inadvertently picked up a radio station and I thought I was listening to an Orson Welles show. <laughs> and I, That's and funny. I looked over at the cab and I say, Hey, you got to listen to this. I'm not sure what's going on here. I'm, if this is real or what. And then so shortly there, and it, it was a, a scratchy news station. If you, if you know anything about aviation and some of these older navigation aids, like non-directional beacons, it, the frequencies are kind of scratchy and you can't hear them real clear unless you're very close. So initially you thought it was like a joke. I, I, I didn't know what it was. And I thought, is this, is this, is this like a, a storyteller? You know, it, I didn't have a clear connection. But nonetheless, but shortly thereafter, we were uh, contacted by the air traffic controllers in Canada as we were flying through Canadian airspace. And uh, because we were so close to Anchorage, we were advised that uh, all aircraft uh, were to land at the nearest suitable airport. And for us, it was 
Anchorage. So we continued to our destination and landed in Anchorage. Wow. And, uh, and just so you and the listeners know, um, most of the skies were shut down and, and all airplanes were ordered to land. But United Parcel Service was still granted an exception to that after uh, after we landed in Anchorage. And then a, a couple of days later, we were authorized to take off and to fly to Narita, Japan. And uh, I ended up spending most of the time there grounded after we uh, continued a flight overseas there with a bunch of Northwest pilots. We were waiting for an opportunity to return back to the States. So that's that was my experience with 9-11 when where I was and how it went down. And were you freaked out at all hearing this initially? <laughs> you know, when I heard about it, you know, being a former military pilot, you know, it was it was quite alarming, you know. And then when I finally got to Anchorage, you know, because I lived there in, in Alaska and I went home to see my wife and and she was getting ready for work and we saw the the TV footage, uh, and it, I just couldn't believe my eyes. I was just like, no, this can't be real, you know? So It was very surreal, like something yes, out of very, a movie, for sure. Very much so. And, you know, and for years, like so many other Americans, I believed the narrative that uh, we were uh, that we were told to swallow with all the other propaganda and rhetoric that exists in our country. And, uh, and so subsequently... You know, um, I kind of followed that storyline. And at the time, I was in the Alaska Air National Guard, you know, in a you know, flying C-130s. And, you know, you kind of had that sense of patriotism. The homeland's been hit. It's another Pearl Harbor type scenario. And then over time, and, and because of the experiences that I went to, because this fight was brought to me by epic corruption, you know, I started to learn more about 9-11 and I started to question things. And I actually... You know, one of my first officers uh, at UPS at the time, he's a captain now, his, his parents were purportedly on the, uh, on the on one of the flights that uh, crashed into the Pentagon. Damn. Uh, as a matter of fact, it was American Airlines Flight 77. Um, Bud Flagg and his wife were supposedly on that flight. And, uh, you know, I always got some vibes from Mark that maybe things didn't happen the way the uh, U.S. government uh, has propagated to the rest of the country. Uh, I've always thought that maybe he knew something that he couldn't quite disclose, but because um, I flew with him several times after the event, of course he was heartbroken losing his parents, his mother and father, as they were supposedly on that flight. Uh, what to, the actual demise of their death to this day is uh, is unknown, um, because as you know, at that crash site, um, the airplane was pretty much obliterated, except for a pristine green passport purportedly from Saudi Arabia that looked like it was hot off the press. It looked like kind of a drop-down weapon that police officers often use, but instead it was a passport. So, you know, you have to start questioning these things. And, and so I did. And over the years, uh, I aligned myself with uh, Dan and other pilots that have been targeted and other whistleblowers for simply trying to do our job, trying to be professionals, trying to enforce the safety and security of the airline industry and the flying public. And this breach by our, in my opinion, our government, an act of domestic terrorism against their own people to fit their agenda and their object, objectives of dark money in a deeper state of our government that truly exists is appalling. Uh, as a matter of fact, when I talked to one of my colleagues who used to be a mission commander of the Air Force Thunderbirds, and he kind of said to me after 9-11, and he was my first officer at UPS on the 757, 767, MD-11, and the 747-400. And he was a witness at the trumped-up arbitration hearing, um, a, a character witness on my behalf. And he, he said to 
it's in the arbitration at the arbitration hearing that what are we doing here? Doug Green's one of the finest captains I've ever flown with. He's a master when it comes to crew resource management, not just bringing in the crew, but bringing in the ground people to get the mission accomplished. And he's a mentor to other pilots. And I'd like to know what we're doing here. Well, he told me, you know, before that, um, before that boondoggle and that whole escapade trying to target me and build the case against me because they don't safeties cost too much money. They don't like people that want to enforce safety and security. And our government, unfortunately, supports that. Uh, it, the FAA supports it. The Department of Labor supports it. And we have no protections. But he told me, he says, you know what, Doug? He says, after 9-11, he says, I finally realized what that oath was all about when we uh, became officers. We took an oath that we swore to defend the Constitution against all enemies both foreign and domestic, right. to preserve the security and freedom of the American people. So help me God. Well, did you ever see that scene from Top Gun? <clears throat> Bullshit. Yeah, well, <laughs> that's, that, I yes. hate to say it that way, but pretty much that's what that oath has turned into. It, it's, it's worthless. It's meaningless. And it's said disingenuously with people's fingers crossed behind their back. But he said to me, he said, you know, they always told us, they want us to make us believe who our foreign enemies were. And I've come to realize over the years that that's not true, as he said. And I said, well, I have too, without a doubt. And he, and he, but he said they never really told us who the domestic enemies were. Right. He says, but now I know. It's our own government. There's always two state. sides of every story, and we are rarely ever told the truth. I mean, we still don't have all the facts with uh, 9-11 or JFK, just to, you know, just to mention the two major ones. We still don't have all the files out there for the public to see. You know, the ones that protect the Saudi Arabians. Right. Well we'll, said. We'll continue in a a moment here, but um, just to cut you off there, Doug, and everyone else listening to this, those that are just listening to this uh, via audio, those on YouTube are now seeing a giant photo of Bush being told about the World Trade Center, and he has that face of shock and disbelief in his eyes. I'm sure everyone remembers, remembers that when he was reading to that classroom. You remember that, boys? Yeah. Oh, yes. I do. Oh, yes. Mike, um, let, let's start with you. You recall what went on that morning, correct? Obviously. Oh, I sure do, yeah. I, I, I wanted to ask a question to the captains. Uh, Jump in there. Go in there, Mike. <clears throat> um, I remember hearing somewhere when, when Trump was in office, I remember hearing somewhere that there was some possibility that he was going to reopen the investigation for 9-11. Do you think that was true? And if it was, do you think it had anything to do with the possibility that that may be one of the reasons that the other politicians uh, hated him so much? Is there any association with uh, his his being in, uh, you know, commander in chief and considering opening up the files again on 9-11 and then if they were corrupt, that it would have really set off a, a major chain link of, of uh, catastrophe with everybody just going. <laughs> I don't, I don't remember exactly the, the wording of the statement he made, but he said something like, uh, uh, we're going to get to the bottom of who is responsible for 9-11, which intimates that he's going to open an investigation. But whether or not uh, that's why politicians ran away from him, I don't know, because any politician in office that would stand up and say that the 9-11 story is a lie just committed career suicide, if right. not literally 
suicided himself because they'll wind up like Kennedy. Right. My, I mean, my point exactly. Yeah. Well said, Dan. I agree. And, and just, just to make it clear up in front, um, you know, for me, there's, I'm not a partisan person. Um, yes, sir. There's, 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 there's one party in the United States of America that goes by two different names, in my opinion. And they have disingenuous acts of conflict uh, to try to make people believe that there's a conflict between these two parties. But in fact, when the, uh, oh, the lights turn off and the uh, cameras are shut off, that both sides are paid by the same dark money donors. And we know who they are. We, Cap- uh, Captain Green, I, I got to interrupt you on that. Do, sure. Are you, are you saying – all right, so I, I understand what you said that – Democratic and Republican parties are one and the same. I've heard that before, but you got to ask yourself, based on what we went through for the last four years, do you really think that Trump, uh, you know, was part of that? I mean, it, you got to admit, this is a guy who came in and and shook the board, who who took all the players and threw them up in the air, the chessboard, if you will. And it is my personal opinion. I sincerely believe that it is a result of his rebellion, so to speak, for lack of a better term that they were scared shit and and it, there's no there i cannot think any other way that he was a part of a two-party one system if you will i mean you're not saying that about trump are you because there's no, no way he was associated let me, let, let me answer your question on that please you know um the bottom line for a lot of people in this world that we live in you know they they have a go along to get along mentality now in some instances, they'll they'll oppose the system if it benefits them. Um, and you know, I think I think Donald Trump indeed did rattle a lot of cages, and he did say and do some things that uh, made the the deeper state of our government stand up and get their attention. And and he did know how to how to do that. But unfortunately, the Grand Master, the Magic Man behind the curtain, was Mitch McConnell. It always it always has been. And right now he's been slightly neutered, but he still has a lot of power. The puppet master, and, uh, yes. Yeah, he's he's the grandmaster, but, but Trump was his puppet. My, and, oh my. And he yes. basically followed the playbook of whatever Mitch McConnell gave him. And unfortunately, Mitch McConnell had tainted all of our sacred institutions to include our justice system. Uh, with judges picked by Leonard Leo from the Federalist Society to make sure that people like me, Dan, and others never walk into a courtroom that can never do their job and enforce the safety and security of the airline industry. It's a revolving door of corruption. Uh, by the way, Claudio Marty in the chat says Trump was pandering in terms of um, going into 9-11. He was trying to pander to that audience. I think that's what Claudio Marty in the chat room is saying. And by the way, my good point in bringing in Trump I'm looking at Bush right now and I'm thinking, you know, I'm seeing some similarities right now. You know, I'm living back that era and then I'm going back in time here in 2021, present time. And I'm thinking, you know, Bush at one time was loved. He was seen almost like a god for a while for the, from the Republicans back back in that era. And now fast forward through time, he's not seen that way no more. He's kind of seen like a greasy dirt, you know, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> But I'm just saying that's that's what time does to everyone. Everyone's narrative changes after time. And, well, now Bush is seen as sort of, like I said, a piece of crap now. Yeah. Yeah. That's what happens. You know, at one time you're on top. Then the next uh, next year you're not. People forget about you. You start, you know, talking at weddings. 
But that's, an, that's another story. For the record, I didn't yes. like him. You didn't like Bush. <laughs> I did not like Bush. I thought he was an idiot. And I sincerely believe that there was no reason for us to go into Iraq uh, or Afghanistan. Well, yeah, there wasn't. Well, yeah, there wasn't. It was based on a lie. Right. It was all based on a lie. Yeah, well, I mean, well, I mean, first of all, they gave uh, – all right, now try to understand where I'm going with this because I know you guys are saying that this, the Arabs had nothing to do with it. But it, that aside, he gets on the television and says, okay, well, we're going to go in and we're going to bomb the caves uh, on the hills of As- Afghanistan. Remember how gun-ho everyone was? Weeks? By the way, Mike, everyone was so gun-ho, everyone was so united. Uh, I'm sorry yeah, I jumped right. in there, but I'm, I, I just can't forget that, how everyone – you know, was so united for war. We wanted to go and kill everyone. It was that quite exciting. Right. It was it was exciting. I'm not going to lie. I mean, I've never it, seen anything right. like that. I, I was extremely <laughs> right. patriotic oh, on, yeah. on, the, on those those that time era. But my point is yeah, this. Go ahead. Uh, so he gives everybody. He goes on television. Says, "Okay, we're going to go and bomb Afghanistan because that's where Bin Laden is." And that was like how many weeks or months was that in advance? Giving this man who all he had to do was turn on the American television and watch what was happening and he could have split and that is exactly what happened yeah but again you guys are saying that the arabs were not involved yes we're going to cover that in a moment here but let's qualify that remark uh go ahead dan if you want to start there were no arabs involved you know the saudi involvement uh certain people in saudi arabia that may have been involved uh it if there were hijackers, and I believe there were, I mean, they did come over and train in U.S. schools. Uh, I I contend that they were uh, passing. So to say that there were no Muslims involved, I'm just saying our organization is just saying they, they didn't fly the airplane. They couldn't have flown the airplane. There's, and that yes. alone blows the holy hell out of the official story. When you say there were no Muslims at the controls and they were remotely controlled, and we can prove the system existed. When you look at when you look at the flight profiles of the three airplanes that hit buildings, and you weigh that against the resume of each of these hijackers, you realize, and uh, Doug chime in here, you'll realize that it was impossible for these inexperienced pilots to have flown those aircraft. I mean, I flew Cessnas as did Doug in our younger days, so I know how inexperienced I was back then, and I also flew the 757, 767, and know how complex those aircraft are. And for those guys to have never flown those airplanes before, never mind at 500 knots and at that altitude, um, is impossible. And so you arrive, the conclusion you arrive at saying, well, three airplanes hit buildings, how did that happen? Well, the only viable alternative explanation would be the employment of this uninterruptible autopilot system. And we know that bin Laden did not have access to this technology. So, yes. And by the way, again, no, no coincidence, no coincidence why we're all here. This is the 10th anniversary of his uh, death, quote unquote, the death of Osama bin Laden that was carried out by SEAL team. What was it? Six or seven? I'm not quite sure. But keep in mind, keep in mind, you just heard Doug tell all of you out there, Mr. Doug Green, a pilot. He just said he couldn't fly out. No one could. However, however, that day, it just so happened that Osama bin Laden's kids were escorted out of this country. You know, I believe Os- 174 people, was it not? You know, Osama bin Laden, a.k.a. Tim Osman, you know, he was our connection in the Middle East. He's our CIA trained asset after all. So, of course, we had to get right. his family out of there, right? Right. Right. Yeah, correct. 
and it, correct me if I'm wrong, isn't are, aren't all the seals who were in in that project? Did, aren't they all dead? Not all of them, but a lot of them. Did. I think a lot of them are dead. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah a helicopter crash. Right. I'm really skeptical about his death, though, uh, gentlemen. That's kind of why we're here as well. I'm not quite sure if he actually died when they say he did. I, I believe firmly that he died before that. Well, they some people say he was in the uh, U.S. hospital in the United Arab Emirates, or he was in a hospital in the UAE before 9-11 and was visited by CIA agents there, but I can't confirm that. I mean, Benazir Budo made a statement on uh, BBC that he had died prior to 9-11. Uh, so there's a lot of people, because he was on dialysis suffering from kidney failure, there's a lot of people believe that he died. But the official uh, story uh, is endorsed by the Pakistan government, which surprises me. They, they say, yeah, it was him. And yeah, they uh, violated the sovereignty of our country and came in and killed him. But uh, I don't know. I don't know what to believe because I've heard both sides of the story. I, I, I tend to believe it wasn't him, but uh, I can't unequivocally state. And that yeah. that's, that's how I feel. That's also. okay. That's fair it's, enough. It seems that uh, you know, unfortunately, gentlemen, um, and to the audience, that truth in the United States is a grand illusion. Nobody really knows what truth is anymore. It's like living in a fog when it comes to truth. These uh, core values of integrity and honesty and character seem to have been lost, uh, just like on the currency of In God We Trust. Uh, it's, it's a terrible shame. But as Dan said, you know, I highly agree with him that the facts and the data exceeds the probability of the narrative that these inexperienced pilots could ever jump into a wide-body jet, uh, 7.5 or 7.6, triple seven. You know, um, they weren't flying triple sevens that day, 7.5s and seven sixes but there's no way that these guys could jump in there and program those flight management computers and to you know operate the lateral navigation the vertical navigation components lnav and vnav which you have to couple up to the flight management computer and the autopilot to to nail a target like that and when wow. you consider the very fact that these guys were uh, exceeding the max structural airspeed of the airplane by 110 knots uh, you know, the corning velocity, the corning velocity and the radius of turn would have been so great. And they certainly would have over the airplane and caused structural damage. So, you know, and especially with these guys in experience, I mean, even experienced guys like us with uh, 20,000, almost 20,000 hours of flight time in wide body jets, we couldn't pull that off. They were yeah. the Michael Jordans yeah. of flight school. That's what it was. You know, they were <laughs> yeah. number one. Yeah. They were on top of the game. Yeah. Actual program with my, on my computer. Hey, I was sitting on the toilet with the plunger between my legs, and there I was, and that's how they practice, right? Right. Yeah. And uh, here, here's a uh, weird fact, by the way. Some of some of the alleged hijackers actually stayed in a small apartment, the same one where my friend currently lives today. Um, very, very strange. And another weird thing is, uh, Dan, as you recall, I interviewed a friend of yours recently. Yes. Mr. Dicklin Curry. Right. And, of course, as I was researching uh, some of the work that he's done, I remember seeing a quote by the long-time-serving former Malaysian premier, Mr. Mohammed, saying that Arab Muslims are incapable of carrying out the 9-11 attacks. Yeah. Well, if I could just real quick interject here. Go ahead. The Pentagon profile. Yes. Okay. Hani Hanjar was a 29-year-old uh, pilot from the UAE. 
I mean, I'm sorry, from Saudi Arabia, okay? And he had come to the States in the mid-90s and did some training and then went back and came back just about a year prior to 9-11 and went back out to uh, Jet Tech Flight School in Arizona. And they wouldn't even take him back because they said he was such a poor student uh, that he couldn't handle the program. And a month prior to 9-11, he goes over to the Preway Airport in Maryland and tries to rent a Cessna 172 and they wouldn't rent it to him because they said he couldn't handle the airplane. Now, if you look at this Pentagon flight profile, American 77 took off from Dulles heading west, got out west of the field and made a U-turn coming back in in a descent and at 7,000 feet starts this corkscrew 330 degree descending accelerating turn to arrive precisely at the surface at over 500 miles an hour to strike the, without hitting the surface, to strike the Office of Naval Intelligence. Now this very, this maneuver was replicated in a flight simulator by pilots for 9-11 Truth, uh, very experienced pilots there. And without exception, they crashed the simulator every time they tried the maneuver. So uh, the whole story is garbage. Uh, he, he, there's no way he could have flown that profile. And we could get into the other two, but he's the smoking gun amongst the, the uh, hijackers. Honey Honjor, I believe, is who you're referring to, correct? Right. I right. believe, I believe uh, his um, flight attendance was also, or his class attendance was very bad, by the way, for flight school. Right, right. He cut classes That's and right. uh, wasn't prepared for flight. As a matter of fact, if you go to the hijackers page on our website at 911pilot.org, it goes into... Uh, a lot of notes at the bottom of Hanjur's uh, profile on that page shows you what a poor student the guy was. It's pretty wild. I uh, mean, you've had so many years of experience, Dan, yourself, about 23 years of flight time or of uh, experience, Dan, and, and he's able to do this so easily. I mean, my God, Dan, well, why did you pay for school? Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> right, yes. Exactly, yeah. You know, that, well, narrative, that narrative that you just gave, Dan, you know, kind of made me – you know, related to the recreation of uh, of Sully Sullenberger's uh, flight on the Hudson as well. You know, they they tried to hang him at the NTSB because that's what they do. You know, they they always want to hang the pilot first, so the aircraft manufacturers and any of the people that could potentially could have caused the crash, you know, they can be relieved of any liability. Of course, that's what normally it's about. It's all about the money and the attorneys and. But nonetheless, uh, look what happened in that case. You know, he when when he actually he says, "Wait a minute, how about human factors? How about pilot reaction time? You guys knew this was going to happen. You knew when it was going to happen. You were cocked and locked, ready to go, and you didn't consider any of this." So finally, they say, "Okay, well, we'll give you what was it, thirty seconds for you know human human reaction time." And when they did, every single one of them crashed the simulator in every scenario. Every right. single one of them. And think about the level of experience that Sully Sullenberger had compared to a couple amateurs that just had a private pilot's license tooling around in a Cessna 172. Give me a break. I was born at night, but not last night. And, you know, it's kind of interesting. <laughs> the point that you make. You know, Dan, Dan you, made, you made a really great point earlier, and we should relate this to this conversation. You know, most American people – you know, live in, a, in an illusion and they're somewhat naive about things they don't know. And so you can sell them just about anything if you package it right. Well, that's what this narrative was. It was all about packaging this and insulting the intelligence of the American people and, and the world. 
the great American lie, one of many. And subsequently, you know, they sell this great American lie, but did they ever have pilots really interject? Did anybody actually talk to people like us and say, hey, well, this isn't even possible? No, pilots right. never get to testify. Pilots right. never get to walk into a courtroom. Pilots are never involved in the 9-11 Commission. They don't want pilots involved. Hey, wait a minute. Federal Flight Deck Officer Program? Pilots want to actually have guns on the airplane? Oh, my God. We can't have that. Why did the U.S. government, um, why did the U.S. government challenge and, and try to uh, take opposition to putting in a program that would provide defense to the flight deck if, in fact, they really believed this narrative was true. They didn't want us to be armed crew members, despite the fact that the majority of the pilots in the industry at one time or another or currently are still active in the military or have been trained with small arms. Carrying guns um, on the airplane was standard operating procedure. We had a gun box in the airplane. We broke the seal and we armed. But they didn't want us to have guns after 9-11. And, and to this day, they're still trying to nix that program, that Federal Flight Deck Officer program. You know, because uh, they don't. Yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry, Doug. I didn't mean to interrupt you there. But getting back to what you said, the reason why they didn't bring any pilots before uh, the 9-11 Commission or ask us if we thought it was possible was because their attitude was, we already know who did it. They came up with the hijacker's name right away. We found a passport in the rubble at the Twin Towers. We found a bandana out in uh, the field and where a 1993 crash. So we don't want to ask those questions. We already know. And everybody bought into it. And why, I always say, why did the bulk of the global population buy into this story that these inexperienced pilots flew those airplanes? And the only conclusion I can come to is that 99% of the world aren't pilots and they cannot conceive of the absurdity of this notion that they flew the plane. So... Yeah, well, it, and it's quite a notion, that's for sure, because um, as you talked, you asked just a moment ago, you know, about, you know, Muslims in general. I mean, I, I, I've flown with countless pilots from um, Malaysian Airlines, uh, and because a lot of them lost their jobs as a result of the mishaps with the two airplanes uh, at Malaysian Airlines. And, you know, and, and these people are God-fearing people, just like you and I, okay? It's a different religion. It's a different faith. They're very devout to their faith. They pray five times a day. I've flown with these guys. I know what they're like, you know, and they have questions about, you know, the Malaysian crashes. And, and Dan and I have the same questions. And I think there's evidence out there that strongly suggests that there was foul play in both those mishaps, just like, oh, yes. you know, in the in the 9-11 event, and without a doubt, I've studied it extensively. They all and connect, they, they all connect you know somehow, Doug, yes. Oh, yeah. But you know what's funny is they always want to target the pilots. You know, they always want to put the blame on the pilots. You know, and it's funny because, like, for instance, at UPS, they tried to build this false case about me. And, they, and they've spent millions of dollars to cover this case up because they know if I actually walk into a courtroom, it's over in 60 minutes. It's that simple. That's why I can't get into a courtroom. And I've spent over a half a million dollars in seven years of my life. And I filed briefs all the way up to the Supreme Court. And I've never given my right to walk into a courtroom after 22 years of service defending this country. What a joke. But get this, guys. You're not going to believe this. 
after all the trouble they went to to blackball me and to lie about me, I actually flew the president of the United States family across the North Atlantic Ocean with Boeing Triple Seven. Really? In the last within the last two years, wow. I was I was vetted by Secret Service. I was the captain of the airplane, and I had his family on board. So, if all these things are true, how's that possible? You see, but yeah. they always blame the pilots. But see, they forgot to maybe take a closer look at what they did to me and how they lied about me and how they lie about other pilots like Carlene Pettit, like Dan Hanley, like Protech, Gerald Brown. I got hundreds of pilots, I can tell you, that tried <clears> to report the <throat> safety and security of the airline industry. And the consequences of 9-11 has crippled our ability to exercise our pilot and command authority to do our job without fear of retaliation, workplace violence, and 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 to be in fear of being terminated. Oh yes, that's why pilots uh, keep their mouths because we're the post. Exactly, exactly. Three hundred thousand pilots. You think you know? Had pilots spoken out in unison after nine eleven, say it's not possible. Stop, stop saying it. It couldn't have happened. The whole situation would have changed. But they did, and why? Because of exactly what you're saying, Doug. They're afraid because they've seen it sent when something happens, like happened to me or Doug, and we can talk about Carlene Pettit. I'd like to talk about her, okay? Yes. Or, or any of these other whistleblowers out there. It sends a chilling signal out there to any other would-be whistleblower. Keep your head down in the foxhole or you'll get it blown off. That's right. And as a reminder, Dan, I always tell everyone that you went through the ringer here. In terms of what you believe and how you were sort of exercised or you were exiled rather from the from the business, uh, essentially, right. you were blackballed right. in, and 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 of course, as a result, you even lost part of your family, Dan. Yes, I lost my my entire family. I, I can give you the Reader's Digest version of what happened to me here without going into a lot of detail. Yeah, go ahead. But after nine after nine eleven, I started observing uh, holes in the aviation safety and security system. And I was flying with crews. I was flying out of New York, and crews were afraid because a lot of flight attendants I flew with lost friends in United 93 in Shanksville, Pennsylvania, and wanted me to say something because they felt unprotected out there, which I did. And the first thing I noticed was I was getting tremendous blowback, not only from my, my union, but from the company saying, keep your head down. These guys are nasty. If you take it to the next level, you're going to get hurt. Well, I wouldn't. There were other factors, political and financial factors that came into play here, but I wouldn't shut up. And I was going to write a letter to the CEO of the United Airlines, and my union boss in New York said, send it to me first, please, before you send it in, and I'll forward it to the lawyers to look at. Well, long story short, they looked at this letter I was going to send in saying that my my correspondence, my, my federal reports I was submitting had been stonewalled, and they told me don't send the letter in or you'll never fly another United Airlines airplane again in your life. So I had covered myself. Let me back up. I knew just based on my 25 years at United, I had seen people grounded this way. If they can't get you medically, if they can't get you professionally, they'll go after you psychologically or some other way. So to protect myself, I went, I was living in Atlanta at the time. I went and sought out the best uh, mental health professionals I could find, a psychiatrist and a psychologist said, here's where I am at United. Here's what I think they're going to try to do to me. I'll come here for a uh, consultation, run tests on me, do whatever. You got to prove that I'm mentally sound, which they did. So I thought I had myself covered because I had a long correspondence trail 
with reports and letters and everything else. And I even was recording phone conversations. Uh, so I thought I had myself covered when, uh, instead of sending in the letter, I sent in these flight safety awareness reports that brought the FAA into the picture. Because up until that point in time, I was keeping it in company. And once I did that, I was immediately pulled out of schedule without cause and told I had to go up to New York to talk to my chief pilot. But the union said they wouldn't re represent me. And the company said, you can't bring any attorneys in. And I said, no, I'm out on a limb here. Uh, I haven't done anything wrong. I need my attorneys present. Well, we were at an impasse and uh, I was still going, uh, being paid at this point in time. And my chief pilot goes out to Denver. He's at the pilot training center and he runs into the chief flight surgeon at United who said, is Hanley one of yours? My chief pilot said, yes. And he said, I'll tell you what he said. He said, put the son of a bitch on sick list. And I hadn't seen an aeromedical professional. I had nothing wrong with me at all. So they put me on sick list and I was running out of sick list. So I called my chief pilot and said, Bob, I'm about to go and I'm paid. This is punitive. I haven't done anything wrong, but filed some reports. So he said to me, Dan, if you submit to the employee assistance program, it's endorsed by the company, the FAA and the union. It'll guarantee your pay will come in. All you have to do is comply with what the company wants you to do. So I thought I had myself covered. I go, fine, I'll shorten it up here. I flew up, they flew me up to Chicago. I went over and saw a flight surgeon who asked me to go see their company appointed mental health professional, which I agreed to do. Uh, I intentionally, no, I went over to what I thought was going to be at the office of a psychiatrist. I had two pilots drive me over there and it turned out it was a mental hospital. And uh, I allowed myself to be interned in this hospital just to see how far they would take this thing. I'm sure you felt and, good, uh, by the way, as soon as you pulled up to a hospital. Oh, yeah. Well, I thought nice initially, well, her, her office <laughs> must be in this hospital. You yeah. know, I, I didn't really think much of it. And wow. uh, I'm not I'm not going to go into detail because it's on that affidavit. Yeah, no there. worries. No worries. But they, they, they wound up grounding me and I didn't exhibit any of the symptoms of being bipolar, if you know what that is, manic depressive, okay? I was only there a few days. They ran some tests on me. But that was their diagnosis, and they grounded me for life based on the medicine that was prescribed for me, which is what I want to bring in Carlene Pettit for. Carlene Pettit is a Delta Airlines first officer, a co-pilot, okay? Carlene Pettit, I believe, went to Embry-Riddle, uh, flight Academy in Florida, which is the biggest training academy, civilian training academy in the world, okay? She's got a PhD in aviation safety. She had written books on uh, aviation. She's flown uh, numerous airplanes, and a few years ago, she was pointing out safety issues at Delta Airlines, and they pulled her off, see if this sounds familiar, they pulled her out of schedule, made her go see Delta Airlines shrink, who diagnosed her as bipolar and grounded her for life. Well, unlike me, I couldn't get a lawyer to represent me. She got a, a lawyer to represent her and took this thing to court, and the judge ruled in her favor. And who was brought into this, and this made the Wall Street Journal and a couple other newspapers. The senior vice president of flight operations at Delta Airlines at the time that was overseeing this thing was a guy name, help me out here, Doug, I can't think Steve of his name. Dixon. Right? Uh, Steve Dixon, right? Yes, where Steve Dixon is today. He's the FAA administrator. 
So, and, and, and Steve, let me piggyback on this just a little bit. I want yeah. to add some information that uh, I want uh, both Michael and Mike and the listeners to be aware of so they can see what you're faced with. Because let me tell you something. You think you're safe when you get onto an airplane? You walk through that door and you take a glance to the left and you're in awe of all the gauges and dials and you think you're you're safe when you get on that airplane. But you have no idea what's really going behind those on behind those doors and behind the scenes in these airlines. The regu- the airlines are regulating the regulators. There is no more enforcement. And if you look at the CBS story, Tony Dopical, you know, he interviewed recently, that uh, was within probably about the last year, the story's still out there. He interviewed some air safety inspectors, and they came in, and they had their faces blacked out and their voices disguised. And he he basically ran the story on how the actual air safety inspectors are being threatened with a termination, with discipline up to and including termination for actually doing their job enforcing things. You got airlines like UPS that are falsifying FAA records. They're pencil whipping things. They're they're purposely passing guys in the simulator that should be failed. They're breaking the rules left and right. And you've got pilots that have DUIs undisclosed to the FAA. Michael Starnes is one of them. And I'm not going to say the other guy's name because they tried to get him to coerce him to lie about me. But when they found out that he never flew with me, they couldn't use him. But they were going to try. They sent an email to labor saying, hey, has this person ever flown with green? And he had never flown with me, but they wanted to find out because he had an undisclosed DOI to the FAA that UPS helped cover up, just like they did with Starnes using the same attorney. But the point is, with Carlene Pettit, in her case, um, you know, they they basically abused the language in the contract. And keep in mind, guys, the collective bargaining agreement of these airlines is federal law under the Railway Labor Act. They're supposed to follow this law, yeah. but the but. This is a lawless America that we live in. Laws, rules, federal rules of civil procedure, none of it matters. It's all eyewash. You got judges, you know, throwing cases out, you know, when he knows there's thousands of material facts in dispute, but he says there's none. And then he pencil whips a a motion for summary judgment in favor of these large airlines, and they destroy the little guy that's trying to do their job to keep the flying public safe. Well, the language in the contracts, most of these airlines have a provision in there where they try to suggest that they have the autonomy mm. to usurp federal law and to make a pilot uh, using their nuclear option of suggesting that they have a medical problem. First, they said it was harassment with me. Right. And we caught them in the lie. They knew we caught them. We proved that they were lying. And then they says, well, we think that you might have a medical problem. And, and they says, and therefore... Uh, we have objective evidence that we want you to go to a company-designated AME. Did you hear what I said, fellas? A company-designated AME. I told them, go right. screw yourself. I said, I'm holding a first-class medical that's less than 30 days old. There's nothing wrong with me. I never passed the physical. And if you think I'm going to a company-designated AME because you're basing your objective evidence is false statements coerced by the union out of pilots that had DUIs, you're out of your mind, especially guys that I never flew with. There's no way I'm ever going to do that. I filed a grievance, and and my grievance was never heard by the union. They said, oh, we're going to put it at abeyance because we want to hear the termination grievance. Well, guess what? If they would have heard my grievance, they couldn't have terminated me, and they knew it. And that's why they, my grievance was never heard. And they tried to do that to other pilots after me, but I helped them tiptoe through the minefield so that they kept their jobs. John Hurd's one of them, and he was involved. He, he gave a testimony to the NTSB in the crash of UPS Flight 1354 in Birmingham, Alabama, 
Airbus A300 that killed everybody. UPS loses a lot of airplanes. There's a lot of mishaps and a lot of problems, but nobody investigates what's really going on behind the corporate culture at UPS and in the entire airline industry. But what you should know with this loose language in these contracts that they have, there's also language that says anything in this contract that that is that federal law does not support will, will federal law will trump no pun intended the uh, contract language uh, that they're trying to use to force pilots to go to a company designated AME AME aviation medical exam yeah. what happened in Carlene's case is they tried to force her uh, she basically gave an interview to an HR person about her concern, safety concerns. And this HR person, you know, she basically self-diagnosed her and she's got no degree in the medical field that she thought she needed to go see a company AME. It was all a setup, just like it was with me. But I didn't let them get that far because I wouldn't be flying today if I had let them do to me what they did to Dan, okay? my, my They would have ended my career and I never yeah. got my medical back. But the, but the thing is, what you need to know is the AME guide, the FAA AME guide, is the rule of law, gentlemen. And the AME guide is clear. It says nobody can authorize the reexamination of a certificate holder, somebody that holds a first-class medical, except for the FAA flight surgeon's office. And only if there's a reasonable basis to warrant the reexamination of airmen. But see, so they're you're going around the law, federal law, because they know if they send this garbage to an FA flight surgeon's office, and then you actually get to go in and defend yourself against their false allegations that they're going to lose. So, so they circumvent federal law, and they use this loose language in the contract, and then the FAA sustains it. Mm. And the FAA doesn't do an investigation. Because like Dan said, you know, you got these guys at the FAA, you know, that are just like Dixon. Dixon was nominated by Elaine Chow. Elaine Chow is Mitch McConnell's wife. Mitch McConnell's the guy that pushed that confirmation through. That guy has no business being the administrator of the FAA. And his cronies, to include H. Clayton Fouché. Hey, whenever you hear that, fellas, when, when somebody goes by the, the first letter of their first name with a period after it, you know they're dirty. And they don't want anybody to know their real names. Yeah. There are yeah. consequences for the, what they're going to do to people and hurt them. Well, H. Clayton Fouché, I mean, he should be embarrassed that he has to go by a letter rather than his first name. Amazing. We know what his name is. By the way, um, Doug, i got to yeah, jump in here really exactly. quick. He's just like these attorneys <laughs> at UPS. E. King Poor. I mean, what parent names their kid King? <laughs> you know, That's but his true. name's Edward King. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't. You know, I wouldn't Edward never call another adult. I would this never call another dog King. By the way, That's in the country that targets people, <laughs> he, he targets labor. This H. Clayton Fouché, he's the FA director of audit and evaluation, and then his little crony Vince L. Murray, his pencil pusher, he just rubber stamps everything. The DOL, you know, uh, John McDevitt. You should know he was the same Department of Labor investigator that invested my Air 21 whistleblower complaint, that invested Carling Pettit's whistleblower complaint, and he dismissed both of our cases without complying with one of the eight essential elements of the Inspector General's um, audit for an essential investigation on a whistleblower complaint. This guy never interviewed a single adverse witness. He threw Carlene's Pettit case. He threw my case. This guy's been hanging pilots for years, and I'm sure he's getting paid very handsomely for it if we follow the money. But the bottom line is, guess what else, fellas? Paul McDevitt, we believe, is directly related to John McDevitt, who's the former VP of all labor and HR relations for UPS. 
And, and we asked, we, we, we asked, we want disclosure from the fact that there's a relation here and they refuse to answer our question, just like everything else they refuse. You have no rights, but most Americans don't know this until they're confronted with a situation like Dan and I. And here we are, two former retired military officers that served our country for 22 years on my end and several years in Dan's, and thinking we were protecting the rights and freedoms of the American people. And our system is completely broke. It's a we lie. Got, we got kicked in the teeth. We got so, kicked in the teeth. Yeah, but in, they break and all the rules. Doug, you know. Doug knows a whole bunch of people this has happened to. Right. I know several myself, okay? It's not unique to just Doug and I and sure. Carlene oh. Pett and a few others. There's a lot of people out there this has happened to. Absolutely. That's why they call yeah. it the nuclear option. It's the last resort they have for getting rid of a dissident pilot, and they use it. And I, with my story, I, was try, I wasn't trying to get my job back. I was trying to expose a crime that involved a violation of RICO statutes, racketeering influence, corrupt organizations, okay? I wasn't trying to get my job back. So Doug talks about filing a federal whistleblower report, which I did, and they lost. So I filed another one. They told me it was going to take a year, which was unsatisfactory for me. So I pressed forward with the Department of Justice, Department of Homeland Security, and uh, Department of Transportation, trying to expose this crime this way. And I even had an organization called Whistleblowing Airline Employees Association, and I had my own blog talk radio program that was called that, where I would interview whistleblowers and they would tell their story about what happened to them. So after five years of doing this, and I got a blog, I had a website they took down, so I dumped everything onto a blog that I could before they closed my website down, but it's out there, it's called a Whistleblowing Airline Employees dot blogspot.com and it's got a ton of letters on there but what happened after five years i had this thing all the way to the department of transportation inspector general's level and they told me well you didn't comply with this requirement that you submit a report to the department of labor within 90 days of your disclosure so we're closing your file and they hadn't interviewed a single witness or reviewed any of my solid evidence i had to support my assertions that I was illegally terminated. So five years of my life I spent doing this. And if you saw the politician uh, that I had written, I went to New York, I went to Washington, D.C., knocked on doors, talked to staffers in these offices, nothing. And during this time frame, I was working with the Government Accountability Project and the National Whistleblower Center in Washington, D.C., which are two of the largest whistleblower advocacy groups in the world, actually. And late in the ball game, they said, Dan, you have, if you're a federal whistleblower in the United States, you have less than a 2% probability of winning your case. 2%, less than 2%. Dan, Dan, did you just say 2%? Yeah. Oh my God, you gotta be kidding me. How's that possible? It's how the mobsters get away with what they do with impunity. They know they can. I was involved working with the National Whistleblower Center, trying to endorse legislation that was coming down the pike that would uh, force uh, them to uh, enact jury trials for whistleblowers that would enable a a discovery phase. And it made it through the House, but not the Senate. It was shot down. And why? Because the big money lobbyists come into D.C. They want to sustain the status quo. They don't want to change the whistleblower laws. They like it with just 2% probability of success. 
And that's how they get away with what they do. Of course. Well said, Dan. That's exactly right. And by the way, to tag on what uh, Doug was saying earlier, by the way, about companies, I've always been about, uh, well, I shouldn't say I've been about, I should say I've always been against corporate corruption and companies may have to pay fines and penalties, but of course, when they uh, screw up majorly, it's very rare that a CEO goes to uh, prison. Right. Well, you know, it's interesting that you say that because I'm going to make a public announcement right now uh, on on your show and to the listeners to challenge the new CEO, Carol Tome of UPS. She's a former CEO of Home Depot. And I'm going to say to Carol right now, Carol, I know you're aware of my case. You're a new CEO. You're on the board of directors at UPS. I do believe that you ha- that you're a woman of I hope of integrity and honor. I want to believe that. And we and UPS violated every single letter in their code of conduct: falsification of FA records, accuracy in records, integrity, honesty, no retaliation policy. I've got the paper trail to prove it, and that's why they won't let me into a court of law. So guess what, Carol? Let me come see you. I'll fly to Atlanta all the way across the North Atlantic Ocean. Fellas, I'm living in Germany now because it's the only place I feel safe because my country has targeted me as a veteran and a 22, a 30-year professional flying wide-body jets flawlessly. And I, so I would love to come back to the United oh, States, wow. and I'd like to meet Carol in person. Let's sit down, Carol. Let's take a look at the evidence. Let, let, let's look at Jennifer Robbins, how she was tasked to build a case against me and coerce pilots to lie that were had substance abuse problems. And, and give me a chance to uh, present my case to uh, you personally to give you the opportunity to reinstate me to my position, make me whole, and set the example to the rest of the UPSers, like I was, a loyal UPSer. They even said during their trumped-up hearings, hey, we don't have a problem with your ability, your piloting skills, and safety. It's your behavior. Mm. Yeah, my behavior. Your behavior. You know, know, Captain Green, uh, uh, not for nothing, but you may want to actually – reconsider the way things are actually going on right now in america uh you might want to stay in germany <laughs> i know you might want to stay there Mike, you're, you're right and let me tell you why let me tell you why real quick you guys got to hear this and your listeners got to hear this you know 18 u.s code if anybody's familiar with it this is a criminal code in the united states okay and the rules are supposed to apply to everybody okay all of us but see for enrico the rico act is uh, falls under 18 u.s code like many other uh, crimes that and, and subordination of perjury is a crime under 18 U.S. Code. Perjury is a crime under 18 U.S. Code. Subordination of perjury, for those that might not know what it is, it's basically when you encourage another person to knowingly lie, which the union and the company did. They put these guys, guys that actually needed help, guys that had substance abuse problems, they used these substance abuse problems Mm -hmm. against them. The FAA knows what's going on. The FAA and the airline have a fancy acronym. It's called the Human Intervention motivation study program hymns fancy acronym for substance abuse and they use this program to coerce pilots to lie about their colleagues and this is what ups has done over the years this is their corporate culture hence the massacres at the san francisco gateway the potential one in sunnyvale and the massacre in birmingham alabama 
But see, UPS, companies like UPS being the fourth largest dark money donor to people like Mitch McConnell, yeah. who's the one that has turned our courts into a cesspool of corruption across the district, circuit, and Supreme Court, I couldn't even get my case heard. I spent $10,000 just to have my briefs printed at the Supreme Court. Go ahead and read them. They're on my link for Truth Be Told at Twitter, and you can see them for yourself. I also sent them to Michael, but this is what you got to hear. So I file a case against against this rigged arbitration to have the arbitration award vacated and have my case heard and finally you know have a, the opportunity to judge the credibility of known perjured witnesses which is rule federal civil procedure 56 I, I can quote to you federal rules of civil procedure I'm a pilot I shouldn't be able to do that but you have to living in the United States of America okay because if you don't tell them what the law is then you hit, then and that they don't have jurisdiction they'll do it anyways and even when you do tell them what the law is they don't care because they keep it within their little sphere of influence. Well, this is what happened. The district court in with the Western District of Kentucky, which Mitch McConnell owns that state, and that's where the UPS headquarters is, um, he's got his group of corrupt judges there. They're all dirty and rotten to the core. And they recruit these law students out of the two universities at University of Louisville and University of Kentucky, and they identify potential law clerks that will lie, cheat, and steal and not uphold the rule of law and the canon ethics. And But they're sharp students. Colton Givens is one of them. Andrew Hagerman's another. And they recruited these punks. You know, and I and they weren't even thought in their parents' mind when I was over in Iraq and Kuwait and Djibouti and all over the Middle East, you know, defending the security and freedom of the American people, putting myself in harm's way. Where these guys, you know, once now they're lying about a veteran, making up stories, tampering evidence, manufacturing false facts. And so this Colton Givens guy, he writes a decision on behalf of Thomas B. Russell, who's also a FISA judge, Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act judge. He's one of the most corrupt judges in our country, and he should be incarcerated for his crimes against U.S. citizens. And nonetheless, he recruits this Colton Givens, and this kid's so stupid, he doesn't change the PDF file name, and it shows who wrote the decision. So now they test your resolve after they put a bunch of nonsense in the decision, and they ignore thousands of material facts in dispute. And you should know, gentlemen, one material fact in dispute garners a jury trial. You would, you, the only way you get a jury trial in the United States of America is if you kill somebody or somebody kills you. That's the only way you're going to ever see a jury trial in a civil case. Uh, in a criminal case, they have to give you a You might have trial. to shoot somebody, Doug. Wow. Well, I'm not going to do that. That's a know, joke. It's a joke. I'm playing. Don't shoot yeah, no one. I'm joking around. Gotta, it's a joke. I, I got to clarify joke. everything I say because <laughs> anything I say can and will be used against me by United Parcel Service. So no, I'm no, going just – just join BLM. You won't go to jail. <laughs> yeah, there you go. There you go. My so anyway, Doug, so get this. Doug, <laughs> Doug Let me put, sugar, put sugarcoating it, Doug. Okay. <laughs> tell us how you really right. feel. Right. Yeah, I'll tell you how I really feel. Well, I want you to hear this. This is the most interesting part. You still with me? Yep. Okay, Absolutely. good. We're with you, sir. Go ahead. So you got to hear this. So this Colton Givens kid, and that, and he was promised he's going to be a famous judge someday, you know, like uh, – you know, Mr. Kavanaugh or Neil Gorsuch. And if you look at some of their decisions, they just de- have devastated labor. And that's what McConnell wanted. That's why he picked them through the Federal Society and Leonard Leo. And they represent the 1% club. And guess what, guys? It's their club and we're not in it. But nonetheless, this Givens kid, he writes this false decision. He ignores the rule of law. He ignores federal rules of procedure. There's thousands of exhibits in the record 
And if you, if you go to PACER, you know, which is public access to court electronic records, you'll see thousands of material facts in dispute in my case. And they don't want to let me into a courtroom because they know once I do and I put in front of a real jury of people like you and I, they lose. Oh, shit. So this is a cover up of the cover up. And this is how it goes. So guess what? And they test my resolve to file an appeal to the circuit court. And, you know, they say, we, we already ran this guy out of money. You know, he, he can't afford an attorney or a law firm. And, and I don't really I haven't found an honest law firm that exists because they're all loyal to the legal brethren of the cloth. And so nonetheless, I got to go pro se. And if you look at my briefs, I mean, I've had countless people across the country call me and they said, do you are you an attorney? Do you work for a law firm? I need your help. And, and I said, no, I'm not. I'm a pilot. <laughs> I had to learn the law. Doug's my new lawyer, by the way. If you look at my brief, Supreme Court briefs, Douglas Walter Green with an E, go to the SCOTUS website, put that name in. You'll see them all. And I sent you links, Michael, to them. Yes, and you sir. can see what we've been dealing with. Right. But nonetheless, so this Colton Givens guy, he's working contemporaneously. Did you hear the word I just used? Yes, That's a fancy word. I love that word, by the way. <laughs> yeah, oh, that's yes. a great word. I noticed it. <laughs> don't, don't worry. I, I noticed it, Doug. I, I learned to use their words. I have my eye on you, Doug. Don't worry. <laughs> Contemporaneously. So guess what? He's working for Eugene Seiler at the Sixth Circuit Court contemporaneously, okay? And Eugene Seiler is buddies with uh, Thomas B. Russell, and they both pal around with Mitch McConnell for years. They're directly connected to Frost, Brown, and Todd, which is the Mitch McConnell fish farm for corrupt judges. They're based in Louisville, Kentucky, a huge law firm. You know, throwing people under the bus yes. with their labor hitman named Tony Coleman, who targets thousands of UPS employees and their families Damn. simply trying to do their job. So this Colton Givens guy, what he does is he's working contemporaneously for Siler. He writes a, a fraudulent decision. They want to test my resolve to write an appeal. I do as a pro se litigant, and it was a damn good one. And so subsequently, um, he, he he guess what? Colton Givens is the guy writing the response to my appeal of his decision that he wrote in the district court. Well, there's a thing called de novo review, and that means a new from the beginning, new eyes, new judges, new law clerks. You got to look at all the pleadings, all the evidence, all the exhibits, witness testimony, which, you know, there never was witness testimony because they never let me, you know, have a trial court to judge the credibility of these guys that lied under deposition. Uh, so, you know, this is forbidden. This is absolute fraud, gentlemen. And this should never happen in the United States of America. Colton Givens, know he's guilty. Andrew Hangerman knows he's guilty. Thomas B. Russell knows he's guilty. And, and Eugene Seiler knows he's guilty. These people have no respect for the law. And it's a mockery of our justice system that anybody should have to go to these lengths and measures to walk into a courtroom simply because I want to do my job and protect the safety and security of the airline industry so that when you get on that airplane and you look to the left of that cockpit, you know you're in good hands and pilots aren't afraid to call in sick when they're sick and pilots aren't afraid to get fired if they call in fatigued. Pilots aren't afraid to write up a, a systems malfunction on a hydraulic system because they want that thing fixed before they fly across the North Atlantic Ocean in case they lose a motor and they have to land at the nearest suitable airport. Wow. But when you do these things as a pilot in this in this airline industry in the United States of America under the, the auspices of enforcement by the FAA, which we have an administrator that was inserted by Mitch McConnell's corrupt wife, former DOT Secretary Elaine Chow, 
I want my day in court, and I'm going to contact Pete Buttigieg at the DOT. I still have an active case on file with the Department of Labor. It's been sitting on ice for six years. This judge threw my case after that corrupt Paul McDevitt never investigated a damn thing, and, and I filed a petition for an administrative review board. It's been sitting on ice for six years years. Well, and I well, still you, know, have- you know why that was? That's because all the courts in the country were so busy worrying about Donald Trump running the country, they didn't have time for you. Well, you know, if if Mitch McConnell couldn't have inserted all those corrupt judges to make sure that people like you and me never walk into a courtroom, we wouldn't have that problem. Oh, I agree. All- I'm just I'm just you know- saying that they I'm, I mean, I'm exaggerating, of course, but yeah, yeah. you know what I mean. You know, what I mean. you know, McConnell McConnell has been the disaster of America. He's an excellent tactician. He set out his objectives to destroy our sacred institutions on behalf of dark money. And he's done a fabulous job, you know, and, and his wife, Elaine Chow, former DOT secretary, she destroyed labor when she was secretary of labor under the Bush administration. She was epically corrupt under the DOT. She's a member of the CCP, the Communist Chinese Party with her father, James Chow. And, you know, and of course, you know, if you want to dig deep into it, Dan knows all about, you know, the bailout since 9-11. The consequences of 9-11, gentlemen, have been devastating to the United States of America. And in so many ways, this show would have to continue for quite some time. And the sun's already rose where I'm at. But but nonetheless, you know, if you look at the Pension Benefit Guarantee Corporation, hey, guess what? Look who's directing that. Most people don't even know what that is. Most pilots are so stupid. You know, and the problem we have with pilots is that the institutional knowledge is pretty much all gone. The average age of pilots right now is 48. Dan and I and my friends, like my buddies at UPS that know what went on and several others, they say, hey, we're the old timers now. We've lost the institutional knowledge to protect the industry. The, the companies have figured out how to control the unions. And so we have no enforcement. The FAA is corrupt. And we can only hope that through venues like this, like Dan said, hey, you know what? We're, we're the good guys. We're fighting to show the truth to make our country great again. OK, and so to reinstitute sacred institutions that really do have honesty, integrity, decency. There is no decency. It doesn't exist. It's a shameful nation. Richard Blumenthal said every American deserves their day in court. Well, I'll tell you what, Richard Blumenthal, I'm still waiting for mine. And I have more than enough evidence, and I deserve it, and I want it. And I won't rest until it happens. Oh, my. An explosive rant here by... Yes, an explosive rant here by Doug Green. My God, wow. That was um, pretty wild there. Yes, it was... Gotta play the horn there for Doug Green, like we're on some sort of hip hop radio I show. Yes, I forgot to tell you what. I'm actually having a blast, you guys. Um, yeah. I actually forgot to tell you that when it comes to the pension uh, benefit uh, guarantee corporation, this is all about the golden parachutes that guys like you know. You know, you talked earlier and you made a really great point, Michael. You talked about unity of nine eleven, oh, yes. right? And how they used this propaganda, and it did. It worked. It brought Americans together. It really well, did. Just like everyone. Just like after World War II, the same thing happened. And back then, a lot of the corporations appreciated the the employees and the labor and the workers, and they started to institute pension benefit plans. And so, and Dan knows all about the pension the pension benefit plans because 
He, that's why he lost $4 million in retirement as a result of 9-11. That's a lot of money. They used that as, as a reset to raid the pension funds and to take away these golden parachutes for guys like us that have worked you know, so diligently right, as yeah. staunch professionals to protect the flying public. And so now guess who's running the Pension Benefit Guarantee Corporation, the director of that program? Well, it just happens to be none other than Gordon Hartogenesis, who, who is Mitch McConnell's brother-in-law, who's who's married to Grace Chow of the Chow family, directly linked to Elaine Chow and Mitch McConnell. And Mitch McConnell doesn't give a damn about this country. He sold it out to China on behalf of the CCP and his wife and his family and James Chow, who runs the Foremost Group, which is the largest shipping company, alleged to be headquartered in Manhattan. Alleged, But he has yes. a 25-story office building in Shanghai, China, and all of his roots run to countries all over the world for raw resources and materials to feed the war machine for China. And all of his ships are built in communist Chinese naval shipyards and funded by Chinese banks. Oh, my. So, Doug, you know, I, I got to ask you this. And this this is a little bit different, though. I mean, we're kind of going off the rails here ever so slightly, Doug. But I do have to throw this in there. As you know, we are, you know, we are having some conflict with China. We are seeing they have a conflict with Taiwan. It seems like a war with China over the island of Taiwan appears pretty imminent. Taiwan and Hong Kong. What, what do you make of that, Doug? Do you think we're actually going to go to war? Are we going to see the same sort of, um, the same sort of, um, the same way that we united? I guess you could say uh, after nine eleven. Are we going to see that with China in the near future? Well, you know, for personally, for me, that's a little bit above my pay grade. For, but from my own observations. You know, if you look at the national debt clock, um, the chances for the, you know, <laughs> for the United States of America to go to war with China are highly unlikely because uh, we're, in, we're indentured servitude to China You're because right. of the enormous debt that we, they own us. We're a little embedded right. with them. Yes, that is true, Doug. They own us. If I may just interject for a moment, I was, just, I was just watching something today from uh, – uh, a, a, a subscription I have on YouTube from this guy who does a lot of fact checking, and it, and I I kind of believe what he said. He, he's a decent man. Uh, he um, explained how that if World War Three is to come into play, the possibilities of there being a nuclear war, first off, are are probably probably slim to none, and, and it's because both sides know total annihilation. Uh, you know, if, if they hit us, we're going to hit them. And it's all over. So it's probably going to be some sort of a tech war where uh, they'll be uh, they, they could uh, uh, you know, shut down uh, power grids and uh, the possibility of clean water or something like that. Uh, you know, no Internet, no uh, things of that nature. So I sincerely doubt there would be any sort of nuclear war, but I do believe there would be a, a cyber tech war um, if it did elevate. See, the thing is. I mean, you, one of the key instigators, in my opinion, is Iran. Iran is going to attack Israel. As a result, we would back Israel, and then Russia and China would back I Iran. So even though these two countries have great armies, giant armies, it is America and the Second Amendment that prevents these countries from invading us. Because even though we have, a, we have less people in the army – or the, the military, I should say, they countries like China know, and they have even like said it, we can't 
invade a country like America because we know there's too many Americans who stand with their guns. And that that's probably how I see it. So there is a great possibility that we are going to go to war with China because of what's happening. I have a, a great fear of that. And that's all I had to say. Good point. Well taken. What do you think about that, Dan? Well, I haven't really followed the China situation that closely. I I do subscribe to Brendan O'Connell's uh, YouTube channel, if you know who he is. And uh, we were tagging around last year, and he keeps me apprised of what I need to know. But I agree with you that Iran is uh, aligned with uh, Russia and China, and that is a catalyst uh, in the Middle East that could uh, precipitate a war sometime in the future. So I don't, I haven't been following that close because I've been uh, busy with other matters that uh, I'm dealing with right now. But uh, if I could just one more time mention on our website at 911pilots.org, we got this join us page. We're getting people from all over the world joining us via our website. And all we need is your first name, last name, email address, and then there's a comments box there. And if you're a pilot, we ask that you put in the type aircraft you flew, and we'll get in touch with you, hopefully, and set up one of these interviews that we're conducting. But if you're also, if you'd like to uh, contact Doug and I, uh, you can fill in that same page, and we, we'll get your email address, and we'll get in touch with you. If you're a program host and would like to interview us or anything like that, just do the same thing. So... Uh, the thing that I've been, I, I can plug this because they're not out yet, but uh, I've written a book. It's called Grounded, uh, a True Story of a 9-11 Pilot Whistleblower. And in it, I go into detail explaining, it's actually a memoir and maybe kind of boring at the beginning because it just talks about my whole flying career. But uh, I go into other issues concerning 9-11 and I'm going to have to, we're, we're self-publishing. I'm working with a couple other people on this. Uh, because it's too controversial, nobody will pick it up. No mainstream publisher will pick it up. Right. But the other thing in Pakistan we're doing is producing a documentary that's entitled 9-11, uh, The Advent of the Ninth Crusade. There were eight major crusades, and we claim that 9-11 was the catalyst that brought about the Ninth Crusade. And there again, we will have problem keeping that up online on YouTube or any other uh, outlet like that because it's got a lot of highly controversial information in it. And finally, uh, uh, I was thinking that a whole new generation has been born since 9-11. That's right. I mean, today, today's college students were only one to four years old on 9-11 and have only been fed the government mainstream media and school propaganda. So I'm contemplating in the fall, if I don't get my head blown off doing it, uh, going on a speaking tour to colleges in Pakistan. There's about 160 of them. Uh, and I'm sure that my message that there were no Muslim hijackers with the controls of the 9-11 aircraft will resonate well amongst 200 million Muslims. People don't realize that Pakistan, the second most densely populated uh, Muslim country in the world next to Indonesia. They've got 200 million people here. So that that's the other thing I'm uh, planning on doing. And... Uh, I managed to get back on Facebook. I was taken off for posting 9-11 stuff for about nine months, but I'm on Facebook at Dan Hanley, and I'm on Twitter at Dan Hanley 4 So if you want to join me on those two social media platforms, I'd appreciate it. Understood. And, of course, I did want to sort of run 
through a few different things that the chat room was asking about in terms of sort of uh, theories surrounding 9-11 and one of these very popular theories that we heard that we often hear about rather is from uh, Dr. Judy Wood. I'm not sure how familiar you are with her, Dan, uh, or Doug, for that matter. But yeah. yeah, someone in the chat, I think it was David Rubini who was asking about that. Um, what exactly are your thoughts and opinions on her work, uh, starting with you, well, Dan? I did. I didn't read her book. I think it's where have all the building, where have the buildings gone, or something like that. But I am familiar with their directed energy weapon right. hypothesis. And I just posted something the other day. You got to look at the twin tower. 100, over 100,000 tons of steel and concrete were dustified from 110 stories up down to the surface, unimpeded, no resistance, to a pile of rubble, one story tall. And I know there's the theories about nanothermite, and I, I strongly support that hypothesis that it was a controlled demolition and that nanothermite was employed. And I know that the lawyers committee did not allow Dr. Wood to present her evidence to the grand jury because they said that she doesn't have enough uh, facts to back her assertion. But uh, when I look at the dustified steel and concrete, I don't believe it was just a nanothermite. I believe something else had to come into play there for that to have occurred. Yes. You believe there is more to it. And of course, for those that don't know, Dr. Judy Wood, she has the theory that uh, direct energy weapons, uh, space beams rather, brought down the two to- uh, two towers in Building 7 on 9-11. Lots of people do subscribe to that theory. Um, Doug, what are your thoughts and opinions on that? You know, I, I got to be honest with you. I, I have no knowledge of Dr. Judy Wood. No worries, um, no worries. I do have some knowledge of... Um, you know, some of uh, Niels Herrett's work. Uh, Niels Herrett uh, was a professor from the University of Copenhagen in Denmark, and maybe uh, you guys have heard about Niels Herrett. He was actually, you know, when the third building dropped, and, you know, I, it's funny because I ask a lot of people, and I, I asked him this question on purpose. I said, how many buildings uh, How many buildings were taken down as a result of 9-11? And just about everybody you know, rolls in on the word twin, twin towers. Right, said, right. No. No, there was a third building that dropped. And I tried to educate them on the fact that it was uh, the Solomon Brothers building, and it dropped many, many hours after the initial impact. And Dan knows better than I do. What, you know, What's the narrative on that, Dan, that they say it was a result of office fires from the Twin Tower buildings? That Well, you know, initially, initially they said that, and then the uh, lawyers committee and architects and engineer brought in, in information, and then they backed off and said, well, no, there was a structural beam on one corner of the building that gave way and caused it. Well, the uh, University of Alaska at Fairbanks did a four-year study, and it's the National Institute of Standards and Technology that's representing the government that's trying to stonewall the lawyers committee and the architects and engineers and others on this. But the uh, study that was conducted by the University of Alaska has con- using computer modeling has conclusively proven that 44 structural beams collapsed almost simultaneously, which would indicate a controlled demolition, and not just as one beam that missed. And that that's where it stands right now. And that's where uh, the Department of Justice and NIST are up against the wall. And like I said, it would be a slam dunk case if they got it before a grand jury. 
it would be all over. And I don't see, I, I applaud the lawyers committee and that whole group that's doing that work and hope we can join them ourselves as pilots next year. But the system is so corrupt. I mean, even what we're doing with the FAA, the system is so corrupt and they cannot allow the truth to come out. There'd be riots in the street. So uh, I'm gonna run the full gamut with our organization all the way to the top and exhaust all possibilities and see where the chips fall. Yeah, no problem. No problem at all. And uh, we are coming to a close very soon here, and there's still more theories being asked about. And, of course, the no planes theory is a very uh, popular theory out there, Dan. I'm not quite sure how you feel about that, nor do I know how you feel about that, Doug. Some people say it was just What is that, Michael? What is that? They're saying it was like a projection of sorts, like a hologram. It was yeah, not right. a uh, plane per se. That's what some people. How could that be? Come well, on, some people believe all kinds of things. But go ahead, Dan or Dan, well, go ahead. I, I know all about the CGI. I've seen the photographs. I've seen the films. I've seen the notes coming out the other side of the air. Uh, the twin towers, which is, was in, impossible. I've seen the picture of the wing disappearing on the film coming in. The left wing disappearing on it. Okay, so I know where they're coming from, but. We don't go there with our organization. We don't say what could, what happened on 9-11. We're saying what could not have happened, and that is the hijackers couldn't have flown the airplane. Now, I personally do not subscribe to the no planes theory for a number of reasons. I mean, I feel like there are too many eyewitness accounts seeing an airplane striking the buildings, but uh, I don't I don't debate that issue anymore. I used to on social media, and I got tired of a getting beat up by people trying to prove uh, their point. So I don't even go there anymore, Michael. I, I had a personal friend who was walking to work and saw it actually happen. So. Yeah. Hey, Dan, Dan, just to piggyback on that a little bit, to share with uh, Michael and Mike in the audience a little bit about the 767 and the configuration with the pod in the bottom in the picture so they understand what, was, what oh, possibly okay. could have contributed to that. Okay, we're almost out of time, but I'll try to make it quick. There yeah. are four four photos taken independently by four different photographers of United Flight 175 striking the South Tower. And all four photos have this long cylindrical pod on the bottom of the body of the aircraft, okay? And a Spanish photography expert analyzed the photos and said, no, it wasn't Photoshop. The, The photos are too grainy. And it wasn't a shadow cast by the engine or by the sun. The pod is really there. Well, there are those who believe, including Rebecca Roth, that's published three books on 9-11, called uh, Methodical Illusion, Methodical Deception, and Methodical Conclusion, yeah. that there was, there was an airborne swap of aircraft using the uninterruptible autopilot system over Stewart Air Force Base, and the, pilot, the planes with passengers were directed to, uh, I can't think of the name of the New England airport, and we forced to make phone calls, and then we're snuffed. So I don't, I don't disagree with her or, or agree with her on that. It's her belief, and there's other people that believe it, the aircraft swap theory. But if you look at a character named Dov Zakheim, Dov Zakheim goes back to the Reagan administration, where he served in various capacities. He's a dual U.S.-Israeli citizen that has strong leanings towards Israel. Okay. And he ran, he was uh, Bush's uh, foreign uh, 
policy advisor coming into the 2000 election and worked in the Defense Department. But he was also the CEO of a company called System Planning Corporation that developed a system called the Flight Termination System that Rebecca Roth mentions in her book, okay? And this system was designed to abort, say an example, abort a, a malfunctioning missile test launch. Okay, they launch a missile and a misfire, and they got to drive it away. So it takes remote control of the airborne vehicle and drives it where they want to. So if you look at a photograph of uh, the flight termination system, it is a long cylindrical pod. So some people say that wasn't United 175 that hit it. It was a swapped airplane with a flight termination system. Yeah. And again, I don't go there because I can't prove or disprove that to be the case. But the photos do exist. Understand. And, and I, I've seen them. Yeah, yeah. I, I have too. And I think that's an interesting theory. But like you said, we can't prove it. So, right. But you know, one of the things you know, one of the things I just really wanted to emphasize, you know, nine eleven was just the conduit that they used. You know, we just like Pearl Harbor, just like the deregulation, nine eleven. Now we got COVID. You know, these are all resets. And you know, from in my opinion, this is a deeper state of corruption in the United States of America. I've seen it for myself firsthand, I've experienced it, but it's the consequences of, of 9-11 that we're faced with, the consequences. And people don't really think about these consequences. But Noam Chomsky, I'm sure you guys heard of Chomsky and you're oh, familiar yes. with some of his work. Uh, he, he, he actually, uh, there's a there's an article that he wrote, or it might have been a book, um, but I, I did some extensive research on it. It's called the Requiem of the American Dream, and and in that in that writing, he talked about how they will try to uh, how how a deeper state of the one percent club that we're not in, you know, we're the ninety nine percent slaves, and and they expect us to follow the rule of law, but they don't. And this is how they do it: they run the regulators, and as a consequence of nine eleven. The airline industry, to include the airlines, aircraft manufacturers, servicers, you, you name it. They, they have they found a way through people like McConnell and his dark money donors to put in a revolving door of corruption to run the regulators. And this is what Chomsky said. He said, run the regulators. Those regulated, run the regulators via regulatory capture, writing their own legislation through the lobbyists and dark money. This is an unequal distribution of power. Okay, well, just if you talk about that power and the consequences of it, you know, Citizens United legislation in 2010 is one of those consequences of power. Okay, and a lot of people they hear that word Citizens United. And just for the listeners, I want to qualify that for them. It's a real pretty word, just like the Patriot Act. Hey, guess what? Patriotism. Dun, 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 dun. The Taps Act. Do, 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 do. You know, flags waving, Citizens United. But guess what, guys? Citizens United is a misnomer. It's not about citizens. It's about corporations and dark money influence that basically was identified. Money's free speech. Well, guess what? 99% slaves. We don't got the money. The 1% does. And they want to say that their, their money, their billions is free speech. And we can use it against you slaves to keep you in check. So you never get to use your sacred institutions. You know, my friends, you know, here in other parts of the world, they say to me, but, but Captain, I, you know, the United States is a land of life, liberty and justice for all. I said, well, why do you think that? And he said, well, I, I saw it on Law and Order. I said, it's for show. This is TV. That's why they call it a show. 
This doesn't happen in the United States because we don't have these rights and freedoms anymore. And Citizens United legislation, you know, Jimmy Carter in an interview, he's probably one of the last honest presidents we had. He, he, he gave an interview oh, a couple years ago and they asked him, what's the state of the union? He said, it's the worst demise it's ever been since the Civil War. They said, why? He said, since the passing of Citizens United legislation by the U.S. Supreme Court, it's basically legalized bribery to the highest bidder to get whatever you want, whoever you want, in positions of power. And the four pillars, the four, and you know, I've talked to another friend of mine, uh, he was, he was involved in this and he's directly linked to the, he's, he's, he's directly linked into our group and what's going on and the levels of corruption. He's also another whistleblower with securities and exchange commission fraud that's directly also linked to McConnell and his cronies back in Kentucky. And he said, you know what we're faced with guys? We're faced with syndicated crime and the four pillars of syndicated crime are Citizens United legislation, legalized bribery, and the no term limits, the, the need to end judicial life term appointments of corrupt judges and do something about this electoral college. He said those are the four pillars of corruption that deny our people, average Americans, to the elite, to the opulent, the 1% club, we're the slaves, and this is how they deny us our rights and freedoms that guys like me and Dan fought for for years. They've only find out they don't exist. Right. It's the great American lie. That's right. The American dream. Just you have to be asleep to experience it. It's a nightmare. It, American it's nightmare, my, right, Dan? <laughs> it's, a, it's my personal belief that the the – the administration uh, let me just put it this way the, the 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 elites who run the country and or the world it is my personal belief that this country has been infiltrated if you will right uh by certain individuals in high positions in power and have gotten into the position of our government and are making the changes i mean i don't know how much you guys are keeping up on what's going on out here but i mean there is a definite uh, with the administration we have now running the country, there is a definite uh, possibility that they're they're moving towards this socialism uh, type of country. I mean, our corpse of a president who can't remember his own name at times has recently he, he's going to have spent six trillion dollars, six trillion dollars in four months. I mean, that's unheard of. We've already passed budgets. It's beyond. They are trying to bankrupt this country. I mean, not to get off the subject of what we're talking about here, guys, but I mean, the world is in a shithole right now. Right. Especially this country. And without this country, who polices pr practically every country in the world, I mean, we have been the superpower. Without America running it the right way, we are not going to be in charge anymore. And if, if we are, I think it would be a ploy, a, a, a stage show, if you will. So things are bad all over, and uh, I, I don't see anything uh, getting any any better. And they just keep handing out money and spending money. I mean, what, what's our deficit at? Like $30 trillion? I don't think anyone really cares trillion. anymore, to be honest. No, uh, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> no one gives a yeah. shit. Yeah. Well, it's out, of, it's out of control. What are you What are you going to say or do about? It? There's nowhere nowhere to turn. What are you going to do? Write your politicians and then complain about it? Nobody's going to listen to you. Uh, I, I know we're going to close out the program here, Michael. Oh, we still and got a little want... bit of. We we still got a few more minutes to go. It's okay. Go oh, ahead. We're okay. good. We're good. Okay. 
I, I think the problem that we have in the United States, if not the world, is we're living in a police state. With the advent of NSA illegal wiretap, the Patriot Act, Homeland Security, people's fear that the FBI is going to come in, kick their door down, and take their laptop computer and arrest them and all that. People are afraid to speak out. And all I can say is in, sp in spite of the 2% figure I quoted you on whistleblowers, do it anyhow. Because the only way we're going to be able to turn it around is if enough people start speaking out. I mean, the censorship going on in social media right now indicates how concerned they are that we're all out talking to one another. And I pretty outspoken, so I probably I may get taken off face, Facebook and Twitter. You might, you might again. You would yeah. us both. That yeah. might happen. Yeah, we never know. And so, uh, oh, go yeah, ahead. But I just I appreciate Michael that you have programs like this because the carpet owned, I should say, Zionist owned and controlled mainstream media has such a lockdown and is spewing out such propaganda. And Doug and I would never get our day before a mainstream media camera, or if we did, they'd crucify us and call us a couple of idiots. So uh, our last bastion of hope, our programs like this, they'll go out on social media. If you uh, are someone out there that has a, sees wrongdoing, go on a program like Michael's or any of the other programs out there and talk about this stuff because we got to get the word out to people because too many people are sleeping, too many people are afraid. I agree. And I would feel remiss if we did not mention Flight 77, by the way. I mean, they want us to believe that, well, they want us to believe this, uh, just the still image that we have of the Pentagon being hit. That's all we really have. So you're, oh, yeah. you're telling me the that? yeah the most uh, the most surveillance uh, any building probably has in the world the Pentagon yet we only have this one we only have a few still images of this um, plane that struck the side of the Pentagon is that what yeah, you're trying to tell before me before and after yeah before and after that's that's always right. a strange one in my opinion Doug I know you feel the same way too oh yeah oh yes it's very strange well, oh go ahead Dan. I've, I've I've heard it all. I've you know, you know, go ahead, the, yeah, you know, it, it, it's just it's it's not a plausible story. You know, like I said, my my buddy's parents were alleged to be on the airplane and uh, Admiral Flagg was a Naval Reserve officer. But he also at the same time worked uh, for American Airlines. He was a very senior captain out of the Los Angeles crew base and they were flying back. Um, he was retired, but they were flying back to the West Coast to visit their children. And so, you know, what really happened there is very disconcerting. It, and, but when it's, it's, if it wasn't for efforts like Captain Dan Hanley and for shows like your, the Michael Deacon show and, and your co-hosts, you know, Mike and people like you that provide an alternative venue for Americans to share their thoughts and their ideas uh, and, and their grievances that are not being heard by our government. They don't care about us. You know, if they'll kill 3,000 people to promote their dark money agenda, and we know what the reasons are. There's so many reasons, you know. I mean, um, it, Benjamin Franklin said something very interesting, and, you know, we shall think about this. He didn't say America. He said any society that's willing to give up a little bit of liberty for a little bit of security deserves neither and will lose both. And, that's, and so this whole thing's been a stage show. You know, they wanted to put fear that the homeland's being attacked, just like Pearl Harbor. And you need our security 
But in order for us to give you security, you have to be willing to give up your liberty. You know, it's funny. I ask people, tell me what liberty means to you in one word. And they're like, uh, mm, mm. it's kind of like the Jay Leno show. And he goes formerly in the Jay Leno show and he'd go out and interview people. He'd say, right. hey, uh, we just want to see what people's knowledge is of geography. Can you tell us one country that starts with the letter U? And they're like, uh, mm, mm. how about the United States? <laughs> yeah. you know? How about the United Kingdom, Uruguay, you know, the UAE? Come on. You know, it's just, it's pathetic. And oh, so, you know, I Europe. Ask people, <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, I, I, I ask, I ask people, I say, I say, what, tell me what liberty means to you in one word. And when they start the whole home and like on the Jay Leno show, I say, well, let me give you a clue. It starts with the letter F, you know? And then finally, you know, some people say it, freedom. I says, yeah, they want you to give up your freedom which most of your freedom's already been taken from you. You just don't know it because it, nothing bad's happened to you yet. And, and, so, and so what did they do? They instituted the Patriot Act. And Mitch McConnell just uh, covertly reaffirmed it went off with all the distractions and nonsense, like watching the Kardashians on mainstream media. It's oh. unbelievable. Right. He's, slipping in, he's slipping in, you know, renewing the, the Patriot Act. You know, but he, called, he uses a different name. He conceals it. It's like they conceal everything else, like Citizens United. It's not about Citizens United. It's about Corporations United to screw the citizens. Right. And, of course, rights and freedoms. Uh, Doug, I have so to this, jump in here really quickly and say we do, we, we do have a caller here. And I think they have I think he has a question for either you or Doug. I mean, uh, you or Dan, rather. Um, caller, you are live. Go ahead. What's on your mind? Hey, guys. I really enjoy uh, this great great interview i have actually a, a you know a couple questions so go ahead um i'll stick around as long as you guys want to keep me but i have like three or four or five questions um regarding the no planes i just um want to throw this out there and see if you guys are open to it um a lot of people you know all the kind of interviews that you would see on you know cnn fox you know, pretty much rehearsed crisis actor kind of green screen type interviews with like the quote-unquote harley man have you guys ever seen that famous um, little clip of the Harley man? He was the guy that gave the first um, major, like, on-the-spot, like, impromptu, supposedly, um, a question-and-answer interview from a witness. You guys know about the Harley man? Are you talking about 9 no, on 9-11, right? No, yeah, we're going back to 9-11. Ah. I, very vaguely, I do recall a story of someone like that, either that or, of course, the firefighter that we all heard uh, talk about explosions. Everyone heard his account, but yes, I early on I did hear of that, but it was sort of like something you yeah, hear. And then my it, point was is that yeah, you know, go ahead. They, I mean, one of the journalists um, said that they didn't think that you know that could be orchestrated, but you want to go you know too far out. But with some people believe you know with that school shooting uh, in Connecticut, I don't want to get your uh, channel uh, banned or whatever, but you know, blank hook incident right um a lot of that yeah. you know could have been pre-recorded um staged and uh same thing goes like you know there's a lot of crisis actors out there for some of these events if you believe in these theories which you definitely do i mean i could you know really show you i'm sure they've seen them but if not there is some really great footage to be seen but anyways that's one idea it's gonna pipe in some sound and a lot of experts have like um shown that it looked very cgi also, but what I wanted to ask them, they were talking about architects and engineers. A yes. lot of people think that they could be disinfo. I've booked them on shows myself and um, very knowledgeable, but it's kind of like one of the um, 
the um, people in chat put, you know, it's 90% accurate, but 10% disinfo. It's, you know, like a house of cards. So Yeah, there's been um, some arguments about just that, what you are mentioning, the fact that they don't really tell you or they don't really disclose who they think is responsible for anything. They sort of right. gloss over that fact. But, yes, I agree with you. Well, I, I know Richard Gage. I, I wanted mean, to I ask them, have they heard about time. Oh, go ahead. Have call you guys it. heard about this helicopter pilot that supposedly developed the software for real-time CGI insertion? And he um, got supposedly knocked. I mean, I just don't have all my facts, so I'm saying supposedly, but I believe it to be accurate, where he developed um, and was live, you know, the one controlling, like, the main footage for ABC, CBS, NBC, Fox, CNN, and he inserted the plane um, going through the building uh, where the nose like pops out from one of those angles. Long yeah. story short, he ended up getting knocked off a few years ago. Are you guys familiar at, at all with that? With this guy's work? No, I, I'm familiar with the nose popping out. Or that theory, the yeah, that that gentleman was like, you know, he developed the software for CGI real-time insertion um, from a helicopter. He was a helicopter pilot um, and he got knocked off, you know, because uh, people were asking too many questions. And he was giving too many answers. Wow. Anyways, uh, that's just uh, really very interesting because it does support the no planes. But, um, hey, if there were planes, great. Um, but anyways. Um, and you can't hear a word you're saying. So, uh, last question. There we go. You guys are now pilots. I mean, this is very controversial. You know, depending on where you're sitting, be the craziest question ever asked uh, from the greenwashing and we are losing this call that we've all been through. If Mind you control. Theory, caller, caller, theory. caller, you're, you're st stop moving around. You got a really bad connection. We can't hear you. Oh, yeah, sorry. your phone is. Are just you guys shit. familiar with the flat Earth theory? <laughs> God, <laughs> familiar. With it. Unfortunately, I mean that's the point of the question. I know it's the craziest question ever. However, uh, some pilots have looked into it and they swear up and down by it. Um, there's infrared aerial photography from airplanes right now where you can see 500 to 700 miles away. If the Earth is a spherical object, uh, we do, you know, science provides us a calculation of how to, um, you know, it's eight inches per mile squared, and there should be like a big, you know, uh, massive you know, piece of the Earth um, between you and that object. You shouldn't be able to see it, even though they're very high up. With infrared yeah. photography, they can see way too far away for it to be um, a spherical or are you guys open to that? Uh -huh. Have you seen well, uh, any of this infrared photography? your beliefs, but I don't subscribe to that theory at all. I've heard people come to me all the time and ask me, and I don't even debate it anymore. I've heard all their arguments, but I, I respect what you're saying and uh, understand where you're coming from. These are pilots. They've flown around the world. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we fly great circle routes, you know? <laughs> That's the point. I love that you guys are laughing. One of these days, you might figure it out. I'll be the one laughing, but I love you guys. Amazing. God bless America. <laughs> Take <laughs> care. And there he goes. Yes, flat earth. I'm sure you hear it all the time, Dan and Doug. Yes. Yes, I don't debate it. I've heard all their arguments, so it's just, it's just like the no planes. I don't debate it because... It's not relevant to the world work we're doing at 9OMPilot.org. We've got a real simple statement that's attacking the official narrative, that is the pilots couldn't have flown the aircraft. Whether or not there were aircraft or not, whether or not there was an aircraft swap, we're just saying 
making that statement and saying it was the uninterruptible autopilot. Right. And Doug, your thoughts and opinions on the flat earth model. Well, like I say, we fly great circle routes. So I, I, I subscribe <laughs> to Dan's response. The flat earth, they have many subscribers around the world, indeed. I mean, you think about it, Michael, too, and gentlemen, uh, we've even sent people out into space and they go around the the orbit of the earth space I is fake how, by the way mike how, you know oh, that right yes i forgot you can't yes, get so, past yeah. the firmament by the way that's covering the <laughs> you know, earth one of the things i will say one of the things i will say though is i really i really respect you know people that you know have their own thoughts and opinions and they're not afraid to ask questions you know and uh, like i i always tell you know the the young pilots that i mentor which i constantly do on a regular basis i said it's you know i the first thing i say to them before we start our flight especially we've never flown together I tell myself from a crew resource management standpoint, we've never flown together before. Uh, but it's very important that you are not afraid to ever speak up or ask a question. There's not a dumb question. And I tell him, I says, it's easier to ask a question than it is to ask for forgiveness later. So don't be afraid to ask a question about any thoughts or ideas you might have. My goodness. Questions are one thing, but uh, 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 I mean, when the the science has proved, I mean, there's so much science out there to yeah, prove. Yeah, that's true. That's true. You know, I mean, that's just conspiracy, what it is. Yeah. Well, I think that's going beyond conspiracy, uh, to be honest. But um, anyways, <laughs> you know, we... For me, and Dan, for Dan and I, guys, what we're trying to stay focused on is not so much on, you know, we, we want to stay focused on the reality, okay? You know, when we talk about conspiracy, okay... Uh, well, it's a word, it, and, and there's a definition behind that word, and I think that they've tried to diminish the meaning of the word with, quote, conspiracy theory. Conspiracy is when two or more people come together with the sole intent to do something devious and diabolic that they know is, is wrong. And, and so the conspiracy reality is what we're faced with here. This is a reality where, you know, where people have come together do something diabolically wrong because the 1% club can never get enough money and power. It's never enough. Their greed is insatiable. They have to have more. It's an addiction, you know? And so this is for, for guys like Dan and I and, and people like you, Michael yes. and Mike coming out and offering a venue for us to speak to people, let them know the truth about the demise of our country and that we have no rights and freedoms. We want to make people aware Knowledge is power. We want people to know that we're being denied basic rights, you know, and, and, and these politicians, you know, these political operatives and these corrupt judges and organizations like the Federalist Society and, and corrupt law clerks and people that break the rule of law and there is no rule of law. People need to be aware of this so we can come together with a loud voice and not give up that freedom that Benjamin Franklin talked about. We're not going to give that freedom up. We don't want your security. You know, you know, Captain Green, uh, um, here's a sad thing when you think about it. In many cases throughout history, empires have – let's take for a perfect example the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire, I believe, lasted for 300 300 years until it collapsed as a result of what I consider to be – a, a lax in their uh, ability to control things. They got too comfortable, um, sort of spread themselves too thin. Boom, they fell apart. Same thing happened with the uh, the Mayans. They exhausted their their um, 
uh, their uh, what's the word? Their resources, for? yes. Their resources. Thank you. So I, I hope this never happens, but I'm I'm going to bring it up. It seems to me that the possibility the possibility of America falling to some extent, if you will. Um, is very great. I mean, yeah. we've been doing the country for as a free country. Oh, empires for, fall, indeed. You're right. Exactly. So we've been over 200 years. The possibility of it happened is very close. And, and it's all because there's so many people in the world now. The world, and it's become smaller with the internet. It, you know, it, it's just, it's crazy what's going on. 100 years ago, we had 1.5 billion. In 100 years, we have gotten... Six billion more people. Yeah, this COVID wow. thing needs to hurry up. We got too many people here. Yeah. We got to get rid of people here. <laughs> got a lot of bodies here. But yes, uh, Mike, I agree with you. We are going down that uh, line of notion. Indeed, history does repeat itself. Things come in cycles and waves. We see this all the time. Um, it's only a matter of time, per se, that America does fall uh, to a great extent, Mike. Yes, it's about that time. Amazing. I'm not sure if you agree with that, Dan or Doug, but I do have a special treat for all of you out there. I did find the clip that I meant to play earlier from our friend, Bill Cooper. Let's um play that clip. I'm not sure if Mike has ever heard this, so this will be a treat for him. This is back in 2001, by the way. Let's, uh, th- this is before 9-11, for those that don't know. Supposedly a CNN reporter found Osama bin Laden, took a television camera crew with him, went into Osama bin Laden's hideout, interviewed him and his top leadership, and he came out and told everybody, within three weeks, Osama bin Laden is gonna attack the United States and Israel. Now, don't you think that's kind of strange, folks? You see, because the largest intelligence apparatus in the world, with the biggest budget in the history of the world, has been looking for Osama bin Laden for years and years and years, and can't find him. Some doofus jerk-off reporter with a camera crew bosses right into his hideout and interviews him. And I'm telling you, be prepared for a major attack. But it won't be Osama bin Laden. It will be those behind the New World Order. That was June 28th, by the way. The, the clip's not wow. over yet, but this is June 28th, 2001. Let's keep going. Michael. Yes. Where did you find this? And how is it still on the Internet? Uh, magic, I guess. Here we go. Oh, my gosh. That's amazing. I wonder what Osama bin Laden's targets are supposed to be. And if they don't... You know, if this doesn't materialize in the next two or three weeks, it will eventually materialize because they haven't succeeded in getting the guns out of the hands of the American people, nor have they succeeded in taking our freedoms away. And so I tell you with a certainty, they must do something terrible in order to stop this backlash and regain the sympathy of the mass herds of sheeple out there. So, yes, that was way before September 11th. Bill Cooper was talking about that. It's pretty interesting for those that have not heard that. Uh, Dan and Doug, go ahead if you have anything to say. Did I hear him say the mass herds of sheeple? That's right. Yes, sir. (laughs) Well said. Yes, he was on the ball. 
way back, way yeah. back then. Yeah. I, yes, sir. That is shocking. Yes. Very and shocking. I, I got to say, I am, inc- if that, I don't know where you got that, but I'm assuming you got that off the internet. And yes, if, that's if a broadcast from Bill Cooper, Hour of Time. Was that internet or, or television? That was on the radio and online. Radio. Yes. Wow. You got to admit, man. It, June 28, 2001. I can't even believe that's even still being passed around. If indeed they were trying to hide this because, I mean, that's amazing. It is. Oh, yes. But I'm just shocked. like 9-11 and just like COVID, um, our government knew way ahead. And there were all kinds of drills going on that morning of 9-11. And of course, there were all sorts of war games going on that day. And just like COVID, there were all sorts of uh, military exercises going on when the the first outbreak happened, too. Yeah. What a coincidence, right? Wow. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> yes, just like Ebola. Mm-hmm. No, there's no real answer for the origins of where it came from, why it started, what happened. No one really knows. Just like COVID-19. It's a big mystery, right? Wow. Indeed. Wow. Yeah. Big mystery. I say that with quotations around that, by the way. Big mystery. Yeah, I, I could tell you're sarcasm. <laughs> we hear it. Yes. And we agree. Yeah, it's it's ridiculous. It's all a bit of a shit show, ladies and gentlemen. It's it's always been a bit of a political masquerade of sorts. The wool has always been pulled over your eyes. It's but now it's all know, much more obvious now, Doug. Yeah, it is. And it's really an insult to the intelligence of the majority of the population. They think we're a bunch of dumbasses and I'm I'm you know, and Americans should should get to the point where they basically say I've had enough. We've had enough. We're not taking it anymore. Yeah, we're starting to see some of that, though. Americans are starting to sort of take a stand, per se. But once we start fighting corporate corruption, that's when I will fully be on board with most of America, as I am quite apathetic towards humanity, Doug. I have to confess. I enjoy watching the world burn sometimes, Doug. I am a, I'm an evil man, I guess you can say. <laughs> I guess I'm terrible. I'm just being honest. And that's what gets me in trouble, my honesty. This is no different, Doug. <laughs> but yes, uh, Dan, Captain Dan Hanley and Captain Doug Green, it's a, it, it was a complete honor to have both of you here and to yes. tell us about your and, stories. And thank and your, you for your service. Yes, sir. Oh, well, thank you both, both uh, for having us on the program. I appreciate it a bunch. This was exciting. Yes. We, we do appreciate it. And, and thank you for uh, taking the time to extend your appreciation for our service because, you know, in general, for me, I, I feel like my service was uh, was tarnished, and it was and it was spit on and by my own government that wouldn't even allow a person like me with an honorable record in the military, highly decorated military officer, and an exemplary captain uh, with thousands and thousands of hours and years of experience, and I can't even walk into a courtroom, and I got to spend a half a million dollars. Wow. And go- bankrupt my family and file briefs all the way to the United States Supreme Court to only be ignored uh, because they know that this case is a slam dunk if it's put in front of a jury trial. But that won't happen. Yeah, we're not we're not we're, we're still hopeful, but it's not likely. And, and if it's not likely, gentlemen and listeners, there's something wrong with the United States of America. Well, I'm going to send a link to this program to the FAA and every government email address that I have. Yep. Yeah, that would that'd be nice. Please do that, yes. You want everyone yeah. to hear this, even if you have to uh, clip up the show, what we talked about, and send it to all sorts of people, 
send it to people's yeah. employers. Well, I don't care. Go ahead. Yes, it, it, I really, I'm really hopeful that you do that, Nan. You know, because I think it needs to get to the upper echelons of uh, the Department of. Well, let's, you know, when you talk about it, just for a second, we're talking about the regulators. You know, the Department of Labor. We got Marty Walsh, who's up there now. Okay, Marty. Well, you know, I got a case that's been sitting on ice, waiting for an ARB to have the true evidence beyond reasonable doubt put in front of of a tribunal, a real tribunal for honest adjudication. Let's ask let's ask Marty Walsh how how that's going. Why am I still waiting six years? Uh, let's talk to Pete Buttigieg at the Department of Transportation, right? And ask him. Say, hey, Pete, you know, uh, how about an IG investigation? And you have jurisdiction of the FAA. How about an investigation on why the Department of Labor never submitted documents to the FAA? And, they, and even when the FAA questioned it, they just rubber stamped uh, fraudulent findings by Paul McDevitt at the Department of Labor. Why did they rubber stamp that? Pete, I'm asking you for your help here, okay? Uh, I faithfully served just like you did in the military. You're now secretary of the Department of Transportation. And uh, we need a full investigation into this case and into Dan's case and into other pilots' cases like Gerald Brown, Darlene yep. Pettit. And uh, we need your help. And if you're the real deal, then you're going to make that happen. The real deal, this. Holyfield, right. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's what we're faced with. And, and as far as the FAA, I'd like, to know, I'd like to know why Steve Dixon is still sitting as the FAA administrator. We have a new regime now. Maybe it's you know it, it appears it's a, a supposedly a friendlier administration, but if that's the case, why is Steve Dixon still sitting as as the uh, sitting administrator? Yeah, people need to call uh, up and ask that question, uh, Doug. They need to call right now and say why is he even there? Why is he being paid? Who hired him? Well, you know, uh, I spoke I spoke with Carlene Pettit a few times, and uh, Delta is appealing the, the judge's decision in her case. And what's your speculation on that? I'm not overly confident. She's going to win. Go ahead, Doug. Yeah, I was just going to ask you. I just thought the audience and Michael and Mike should hear. You know, what's your speculation on how that's going to go down? You know, I don't. We, I don't know. You think they're really going to let the FAA administrator take a take a hit? I mean, he's claiming when he was uh, deposed, he's claiming he had no knowledge of her case when he was at Delta Airlines. They're going to tell but, Doug to kick rocks and tell his story. <laughs> tell his uh, story walking. That's what they're going to say to Doug. Yeah, probably. Absolutely. Just like, you know, they tried to do to Carlene. You know, I'm pretty sure they're going to overturn the the decision. And this is how it's going to go down, fellas, in my opinion. Um, And you should and you should hear this because this is the the buzz phrase that they use. You know, they have created a chilling effect on pilots and, and those that work in the airline industry, not just pilots. We have mechanics. We have ground handlers, flight attendants. Um, they have created a chilling effect right. to warn labor, the slaves, that you will keep your mouth shut. Whistleblowers and whistleblower programs are designed to identify people that are willing to come forward with the truth so that we can target and terminate them and make sure that and we send this, an example of these individuals to the rest of the laborers that you will keep your mouth shut. We don't care about safety. We don't care about security. We just care about profits and the shareholders. That's the bottom line. And so what they're going to do is they're going to, but they're going to reverse this. And they're going to say, well, wait a minute. We can't. Delta Airlines is, is, is an airline. And we have to, we can't, even though we believe in quotes that, that Carly Pettit may have had 
a, a medical problem, and they knew she didn't. It was just a ruse. Um, but we believed that maybe she did, and so therefore, even though it was identified that we were wrong, we're sorry about that. And they smack them on the hand, naughty, naughty, don't do that anymore, be careful. But right. guess what? And, and then they, and they absolve them of it, and then they say, and uh, we have to absolve Delta Airlines of this because if we didn't, it would create a chilling effect on the airline industry, this, the, the leadership, the managers, would create a chilling effect on them to identify a potential safety hazard, and, and therefore, we're going to have to dismiss this case, just like they did in the Bill Hoper case. This is, that's another story, and that's one you really got to hear, because that did go to the Supreme Court. And the reason it went to the Supreme Court is not if it w- if it was Hopers' appeal to the Supreme Court, it would have never been heard. Just like I appealed, just like the in-bank coordinator Beverly Harris at the Sixth Circuit tampered with my pleadings and pulled pages out on purpose to tie me out, so that my petition for rehearing, begging, please hear my case. I have to write a petition for rehearing in bank because you have a corrupt law clerk that you know wrote a fraudulent decision answering his response. Uh, in the in the district court, please hear my case, circuit court. And then I filed to the Supreme Court, and, and of course, it's never heard. And you should know, gentlemen, when I filed my briefs to the Supreme Court, um, in many instances, the parties involved never even filed Supreme Court protocol in filing a waiver of response, either a response or waiver of response. They didn't even do it. And you know why? Because they knew they didn't have to. We don't have to file a response because we got this under control. It's when our sphere of influence and who's going to know? Well, guess what? Michael Deacon, oh and Mike, you guys made it possible for people to know. God bless you. Love okay. that. I detected some yeah. sarcasm. In- <laughs> yeah. Hey, tell me if Doug Green doesn't sound like an attorney. He does. <laughs> I might hire him. I might fire the lawyer that I have and pick up Doug here. Yeah, it's 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 horrible, you know, to think that they're going to overturn Carlin's case more than likely. Are you, but, you uh, know, Jewish, I, by the way, Doug? No, my, my last name my last name used to be Green. I can't Green. hire you then, Doug. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, have a, I have a Jew only policy here. In terms of you know, you know, business, yeah. you know, you know how it goes. You know how it goes, Doug. Hey, guys, you got to invite us back. I want to share with you the Bill Hoper story. Holy it's vey. an unbelievable story of prejudice and bias and discrimination and corruption that it was also you know attached to the to the airline industry and his in his case actually he he won a 1.7 million dollar um decision in the uh state in the state court now keep in mind the state court and most people don't know this and you know you guys are actually providing an opportunity to educate the audience and things that they need to know yes sir and normally they wouldn't know. And so knowledge is power. But the state courts, you know, judges in most states are elected. Ju- they're elected. They're not appointed, okay, by, by the Federalist Society and Mitch McConnell and his cronies to overtake the courts. And so subsequently, because of their appointments, they realize that sometimes they got to be honest and they have to make fair decisions and they have to allow people to have a jury trial. Americans aren't allowed to have a jury trial. When you, you got arbitration, and you've got this motions for summary judgment. These are two weapons used against Americans to make sure you never walk into a courtroom in front of a jury trial to have your case heard by people like you, all of us. They don't want that to happen. That's how dark money controls it. The 1% club keeps us out of court and to exercise their rights. That's how they do it. Those two tools, arbitration 
rigged arbitration. That's why the FAIR Act's been proposed to be passed to enforce arbitration for consumers, employees, and also through passing motions for summary judgment, which is basically a whimsical dismissal of a case, despite the fact that there's material facts in dispute. And all there has to be is one. But they say there's none, and they're lying. But but the long and short of it is um, in many of these cases, you know, never see the light of day of a trial unless it's the other side. If it's if it's the dark money that wants to appeal, then they will. So, like, for instance, just a, a quick summary in the, in the Hoper case. I'm not going to tell you all about it, but just briefly, Bill Hoper was absolutely targeted. Uh, he, he was because he enforced safety and security, the airlines at Air Wisconsin, and uh, they set him up to fail. He was a federal flight deck officer. He was he was in Dallas going through training. Uh, they forced him onto a new airplane so they could set him up to fail at the simulator. And he knew what was going on. Uh, they failed a motor on him. The uh, the guy that was designated to fly with him, he, he purposely shut down the good motor. And all of a sudden they were a glider. And he knew they were setting him up to fail. It was a, without a doubt. Uh, you're supposed to train the way you fly. Okay, you're not supposed to purposely fail people. It's negative training. And so subsequently, Bill knew it. He said, all right, stop the sim. He pushed his seat back. He says, I- I'm done. He says, I'm, I'm going home, you know, and I'm filing a grievance with the union. Well, they, they, he, they knew he wasn't in a duty status as a federal flight deck officer because he wasn't flying. And he, and it would have been, he would have violated SOP, standard operating procedures, to bring his weapon to training. Why would he? He would have had to put it in a lockbox with the local law enforcement officers, and that's a pain in the ass. So nonetheless, uh, they, they lied about Bill. They called the TSA, and they says, hey, we think, uh, we think you got a pilot here um, that's mentally uh, – he's mentally unstable, and we believe he's armed and on your airplane. Well, they knew he wasn't armed, and he wasn't mentally unstable. He was pissed off. And since when being pissed off makes a person mentally unstable? He had a right to be pissed off because they were trying to end his career for doing his job. And so subsequently, they, he boarded the flight, United flight. They pushed the plane back. United Airlines, Dan, here we go again. And uh, yeah. they, they pushed the flight back, and all of a sudden, the, the TSA contacted the tower. They told him they had the plane return to the gate. The TSA stormed the airplane. They dragged Bill Hoper off the jet. They humiliated him in front of other people, treated him like a common criminal. And this is a federal flight deck officer in good standing and a captain for, an, for a major airline. And uh, they drug him off the plane. They threw him on the ground. And they basically said, where's your gun? He says, what do you mean, where's my gun? He said, I'm not in a duty status. I don't have my gun. It's in my lockbox at home where it's supposed to be. And so he filed a defamation suit against Air Wisconsin. And, and, and he won in the state court. Now, keep in mind, it was a state court. He got a jury trial because the state courts aren't rigged like the federal courts. Mitch McConnell can't control the state courts because they're individual states. But he's got a lockdown in the federal courts across the entire nation, district, circuit, and Supreme Court, all three levels of adjudication. Now, the state courts, because these judges are elected and not appointed for life-term appointments, um, he got a jury trial. All the, the facts of the case were presented to a jury. They found Air Wisconsin, without a doubt, purposely did what they did. It was defamation. They didn't have grounds to terminate his employment. And he was awarded $1.7 million, and he was supposed to get his job back. Well, n- nonetheless, um, they appealed it to the Colorado State Supreme Court, Air Wisconsin did. And the Supreme Court sustained the uh, 
the the decision to award Bill Hoper damages one point seven million dollars and get his job back. But see, Air Wisconsin is a very powerful company, and they have a lot of money, just like all the other airlines, dark money donors and connections in D.C. and the power players. And all they got to do is call one of their buddies there who pulls the strings to make things happen. And guess what? Their case will be heard by the Supreme Court. But if it was the shoe was on the other foot, Bill Hoper would never have his case heard, just like none of my cases were heard. And and none of any other Americans' cases would be heard in this type of scenario. So the case goes to the Supreme Court, and uh, and and they and the, their their theme was, well, you know, we can't have um, you ruling in this guy's favor, despite it may look like defamation. It may look like we targeted this guy. Um, you know, this would create a chilling effect on the airline industry, and we would never potentially uh, report any possible concerns. Well, Judge Sotomayor, who was one of the few honest judges on the Supreme Court, she, she basically said she took the position in dissent. Since when is being angry making does that make does that medically diagnose a person being mentally unstable? Mr. Hoper, I have every reason to be angry, and but nonetheless, because of this. This abuse of the chilling effect, using it in opposite on behalf of the airlines to enforce their labor containment program against pilots trying to protect the flying public, they, they basically dismissed Bill Hoper's case, the Supreme Court, a- after a jury trial of his peers ruled in his favor at two levels of adjudication in the state court. Well, they, the reason they, they did this is because they knew that this was going to go directly from the state court after you file an appeal to the Supreme to the state Supreme Court, it goes directly. It bypasses the district court, the circuit court, and it goes directly to the Supreme Court if they'll hear your case. But you got to be somebody. You connected to money and power for that to happen. It's like a, it's a lottery. You know, there's no oversight in the United States of America over the lower courts. You know, you have to you have to establish a circuit court split. But his case never even made it to the circuit court. I established countless circuit court splits. And for your audience and your listeners, a circuit court split means there's 12 circuit courts across the country. And one circuit court can't interpret the law differently than the rest. So case law is established as a precedent that if that this is the rule of law and the other circuit courts must follow it. And so if you find a circuit court split that shows a disparity in interpretation of the law, then the, then the Supreme Court's supposed to hear it. And they right. didn't. Well, they didn't. So th- this is what we're faced with. This yes. is abuse or chilling effect. And the chilling effect is actually against the employees, the whistleblowers that are trying to do their job to protect the security and safety of the flying public and the American people across not just the airline industry, but multiple industries across the United States of America. I agree. Our system yes. is broke, gentlemen. Let me, let me, just, let me just end my one, one last note. There's four words. On the front of the U.S. Supreme Court. Does anybody know what they are? No. Okay, well, I'm going to tell you. Equal justice under law. Gentlemen, I'm here to tell you, it's a woolly mammoth and it doesn't exist. It's extinct. It's not true. It's the great American lie. And if I'm wrong, then, 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 then let's have the Supreme Court hear my case. Right. Let's have, let's have yeah. the Let's have the Department of Labor hear my case that's been sitting on ice for six years waiting for an administrative review board judge to listen to my case. Six years, and I haven't heard a single thing from these people. Six years. And UPS stole – they stole 
12 years of my retirement, they stole my income, my pay. I had to start over from scratch. I had to leave my own country. They blackballed me. They're still blackballing me. Now they're trying to steal half of my retirement to punish me and to shut me up so that I don't have conversations like this telling the truth about uh, corporate. Well, I destroyed a 27-year marriage for me and my two kids who are now adults. Blame me for the divorce. Still believe the official 9-11 story, believe it or not. Think I'm a whacked out conspiracy nut and don't talk to me. And besides destroying my uh, career and reputation as a pilot, I lost about $4 million in pay pension and stock. So I took a pretty bad beating uh, right. doing what I'm doing. But uh, that, is, that really isn't my emphasis. Uh, does it upset me? Do I think about it a lot? Of course I do. Right, right. I'm living off, living off a pension and Social Security right now, much reduced. Uh, but that isn't my impetus for continuing to do what I'm doing. I already said why I am doing what I'm doing. Yes, sir. Well, so. Dan, um, you know, I do want to thank both you and Mr. Green, Captain Green here, for your time and, of course, your all your hard work both of you have done. And both of you have been through the ringer now. Now that I know Doug's story, he, too, faced... Uh, a lot of um, a lot of hurdles and obstacles, just like yourself, Dan, and many others out there, like the both of you, who face lots of issues just talking about these sort of things. Yeah. It's very unfortunate, but uh, Dan, I'll start with you. Any final words before we cut you loose here? No, I again, I appreciate you having me on, and if you haven't written it down, go to 911pilot.org. It's a pretty easy website to read, and there's some... Uh, pretty important videos on uh, each page of the site. Uh, and then join us at the top of the page. Uh, we'd appreciate it. Very nice. Well, Dan, I will talk to you on the other side, my friend. Thank you so much for being here. Okay. Yes. Thank, Thank you, you again. gentlemen. Thanks again for coming on. We both Michael? Yes, I'm still here. I was just getting rid of Dan here from the call. Now it is your turn before we cut you loose. Um, Captain Green, any last words before we let you loose here? Absolutely, and I wish Dan was still on the line. I just want to take a minute to recognize Captain Dan Hanley. He is an intrepid man, and he is literally made out of titanium with his personal resolve. With his personal resolve. Oh, there's Dan calling me right now. Yeah, he's calling you. He's excited. Well, hold on. Let me let me answer it on my phone. Hey, Dan, I'm still, on, I'm still talking to Mike. <laughs> And Michael. No, no, I want you to stay because I want you to hear what I'm going to say. He wants you to hear. Yes. <laughs> well, stick around. I want you to hear this. I'm just, I'm, just, I'm just letting people know what you've been through, and you're an American hero. You, you're, 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 you're an, don't, don't interrupt me. I'm <laughs> Dan Hanley, Captain Dan Hanley, is one of the finest men of integrity and honor and he has been abused by a broken system of corruption in the United States. But despite the way they beat him down and took everything that he worked so hard for and hadn't believed in, his resolve to stand strong and fight for right and wrong, the rights and freedoms that we think we have, he's trying to make sure that those are a sense of decency is restored so that Americans all across our great nation can exercise those freedoms. This, this is a government of the people, by the people, and for the people. We're not their slaves, okay? And we, and we have to enforce our rights. And thank you, Michael Deacon and Mike, whatever your real last name is. I like I like your stage name. It's pretty good. 
But thank you guys. I'm serious. You know, it's so important for people to know the truth. Mainstream media will never run a story about this. That's okay? right. They won't do it. They won't run a story about reality winner. That's a name. It sounds pretty crazy. I think her father was a Grateful Dead fan. But that's <laughs> another story we got to talk about. We will I want dead. you to Google reality winner. She's a political prisoner in the United States of America for telling the truth. And she's also an American hero and a veteran. This is what our government does to veterans. Yeah, we, we will do that great. in the future. We will bring you back on here, Mr. Green. Great. Guys, you're the best. Thank you for your attention. And thank you to the listeners. And God bless you. Yes, thank you so much. God bless. And we will talk to you on the other side. Captain Green. Take care. Take care, my friend. <laughs> yeah, he's like, don't talk. I'm talking here, um, Dan. <laughs> I got this, Dan. How dare you? That was pretty that was good, great. though. Yeah, I, I like Captain Doug Green. That was fun. I... Always enjoy Captain Dan Hanley, of course. Always a great, always a great guy to interview. Always full of passion and information. It's always a learning experience talking to these pilots, Mike. Definitely. Oh yes. <clears throat> oh yes. I had to do it. I'm sorry. I, I did miss that sound effect right there. It's been a while since I've heard it. Um, but yes, we are almost out of time here, Mike, and it's been a great show. But Mike, we are left with some uh, some very interesting uh, individuals to talk about before we check out here. I mean, we do have Laura Loomer to talk about. If you recall our friend Laura Loomer, the last time we mentioned the name, Mike, she was getting some sort of Nazi tattoo. Do you remember that? Yes, I do. Oh, my God. Well, she's back, Mike. Are you excited? Uh I can't seem to hold it in. No. Oh, my God. Let's hear what Laura Loomer has to say. This is this should be um, pretty interesting, Mike. Let's hear what she has to say. This is not just about free speech. This is about civil rights. The act of being deplatformed is a, is a civil rights violation. And free speech is not only the bedrock of our society, but free speech is a civil right. And I you know, I'm running for Congress again because I feel so passionately about this issue and I'm not going to stop until I till I get into Congress, until I win to uphold our election integrity and to let people know that it's going to be the American people who pick and choose election winners and losers, not big tech. And uh, when I get to Congress, uh, one of the first things I'm going to do is uh, propose legislation uh, to update our Civil Rights Act to include political affiliation as a protected class. Wow. Are you excited to hear that news? I, I, I don't even know what she's talking about. What, what is she talking about? She's going to run for Congress, I guess. She yeah. vows to run for Congress. And it won't go anywhere, of course, Mike. <laughs> you know she's not going to win anything. Oh, God. Let's hope not. She's terrible. Mm-hmm. She's not going to win shit. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I, I got to interrupt you real quick. Go I ahead. Go ahead. The news. Uh, I got my, my anti-China virus vaccination today. You got the vaccine. I did. I did. And how do you feel? They told me that I might feel a little sick, um, <clears throat> like a, like a flu-like symptom, but uh, they said it will pass. And uh, that's just like when you get a flu shot. Sometimes yeah. they say you'll, you'll get it. But so far, so good. So in other words, you're okay. You're not feeling any sickness, nothing of that I'm nature. You're, you're cool. I'm fine. It was exactly 12 hours ago that I got it. So you're not going to die, in other words. You're good. Let's hope not. Knock on wood. Yeah, you'll be fine. You're not going to die. Come on. No, of course not. You're a strong man. You've you've defeated cancer multiple times. No one's going to take you out. A vaccine won't kill you, Mike. 
I hope not. Not you, at least. I mean, you know, you fought cancer, <laughs> you know, your immune system is strong. Uh, well, no, it's actually quite weak. Uh, no, I mean, in terms of uh, COVID, I mean, your system will not fall to COVID, that's for sure. Even before the vaccine, I, I think your blood, you know, there was some sort of well, like strange immunity already built up because of the radiation. It probably blocked the COVID. You don't <laughs> I got to tell you, you know. he did say something. <laughs> the guy who gave him the injection did say something to me that was quite interesting. He said, even after having gotten the shot, there is a possibility oh, shit. that you could now heck, check this out. You could actually still catch COVID. Mm. However, this uh, uh, vaccine will actually help you beat it because you won't get it as bad. That's what I was told. I see. Yes. So, if you do contract it, yeah, you won't have the symptoms that would uh, be problematic. In other words, that's the way I understand. Yeah, it, yes, I see. Very good. Well, I'm glad you are feeling well and you're not dead, Mike. I'm glad I'm not dead, too. I don't Thank want you to you. die. Thank you, Michael. I need you alive. <laughs> we all need you alive, Mike. So, no, you know, don't don't die, please. Uh, please. I, I don't want I don't have time. I got too many things I got to get done. Yeah, You don't got time to die. <laughs> I owe too many bills. Yeah. So, you know, what good are you if you're dead? I'd be sleeping a lot better, that's for sure. That's what life's all about, you know. What What good are you if you are dead in the ground? You know, you can't get any money out of you, can't make you work. <laughs> so, you know, why would we want you if you're dead? No one likes anyone who's dead. Come on. So don't die, Mike. Yeah, I, it's not a fun thing. That's right. So, Mike, we, we are almost at a close here, and we do have a right-wing pastor to go through here. E.W. Oh. Jackson says the Democrats today are no different than the KKK. <laughs> It's true. He's a black uh, gentleman, by the way. Is he? Yes, okay. Sir. Bravo. So this is coming Good from call, him. Sir. He's not wearing a cowboy hat, even though I wish he was. But this is that what he has to say. Yeah, let's hear it. But I'm convinced that they'd kill us if they could. Just like they did in the antebellum South and in the Ku Klux Klan era after Reconstruction. Just he's out of place. Kill him. Get rid of him. We don't want his voice being heard. We don't want him to stir up the others. Next thing you know, they'll all be thinking they can think independently and they can think for themselves. And they, they don't need to be supporting people who tell them they're doing them a favor by killing their babies. They, they're going to question. They're going to question us. They're going to question us after all we've done for them. I mean, we put them in the finest huts in the projects. <laughs> you know, we look, we 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 we're supplying them with marijuana now. Oh, shit. He's got a point. And, you know, we vote to increase their welfare checks. And they're going to contradict us and suggest that they're not going to vote for us? Huh. Based upon some of the communications I get, believe me, they'd gladly kill us. They can't do that, frankly. And it's not because they're not evil enough to do it. It's because they're too cowardly to do it. Yeah, and that was E.W. Jackson. What do you think wow. of that, Mike? Powerful, right? Uh, very powerful. Yeah, I, I, I commend his uh, his ability to speak out like that. Um, as I mentioned once before, Malcolm X said uh, one of the biggest enemies the black man has is the white liberal, and he couldn't be more. He couldn't have been more correct. What about Paula White? Wherever I go, God rules. What do you feel about that, Mike? <laughs> when I walk on White House grounds, God walks on White House grounds. I had every right and authority to declare the White House as holy ground because I was standing there and where I stand is holy. 
It never gets old. To say no to President Trump would be saying no to God. And, and I won't do that. We are in a spiritual war right now. Let every demonic network that has aligned itself against the purpose, against the calling of President Trump, let it be broken. Let it be torn down in the name of Jesus. You want me to tell you what my thoughts are? The thoughts of the King of Kings, the thoughts of the Lord of Lords. I'm downloading heaven. Hey! That's my favorite part. <laughs> Imagine hearing that in bed. Oh, God. She's orgasming, and you're, you know, she's having an orgasm, and you hear that? <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> she starts speaking in tongues when she climaxes. Wow. Oh, my gosh. She must be fun. Oh, yeah. In a nightmare. In a nightmare sense, yes. I kind of know I'm a little bit cute, all right? I am Paula, who is pretty. Well, maybe I'm not going to be pretty when I'm 90 years old. Here's this former messed up Mississippi girl. Lived in a trailer that they called trailer trash. Daddy committed suicide. Got pregnant out of wedlock. Been married. Been divorced. Not just once. You know, twice. People go, well, how'd you become the spiritual advisor of the president? We'll get to that later. It's all in there. Michael Jackson, Kid Rock, the president. It's all in there, all right? Thank you, Paula. What a great job you do. The evangelicals. I hear we're more popular than Oh, boy. But yes, enough of that. Enough of that. Yes, I agree. I wacky. agree. It was very wacky, and that was Paula White, ladies and gentlemen. Give her a round of applause. Yes, thank Jesus Christ. <laughs> so, Mike, I do want to thank you also for being a part of the program. I feel, you know, I feel very sad that the show's going to end now. You know, I would want this to last another hour, but you know, I don't work for free. You know, Mike, if somebody would donate. You know, a couple more hundred dollars and maybe I will do another hour. But until then, I, I, I mean, shit, it's over. There's no point. I mean, I'm not going to talk to this microphone any longer. What would be the point, Mike? I mean, we already went two hours, almost three hours. Everyone is so... No, it's three know, hours. It's just about three hours. Everyone's so unthankful, though. I mean, no one is, you know, paying to hear this shit. You know, no one wants to hear this anymore. I'm going to kill myself after the show. I might just end it. The way the show's going, I just... Fuck the show, I'm just gonna kill myself. This is ridiculous, Mike. Well, you've come this far. I come this far, this far, yes, Mike. So anyways, I do want to thank you, Mike, for being a part of the program. It was a good one. I I just yes. wish I drank more beer for the show, that's all. It's <laughs> my only regret, but... Um, aside from that, Mike, I mean, I love the guest. I want to thank... Doug Green, Captain Doug Green, and Captain Dan Hanley both were incredible. And if you want to hear a replay of this, make sure to search Michael Deacon or the Michael Deacon program on all popular platforms, and you will hear me. It's true. You'll hear this. That's right. Sign up today. Patreon.com forward slash Michael Deacon. $5 only. Bonus content. Remember, donate. I will die if you don't. You want me to die? You want me to live in the street? Don't donate. And that will happen, folks. Support the program. Mike, go ahead. Plug anything you'd like before we cut you loose. Go ahead. Thank you. Uh, I want to say thank you to Michael for having me on as co-host tonight. I I had a great time as usual. Uh, Thank you to the guests who came on, the the captains. 
And also, I'd like to thank the listeners, uh, both live and podcast listeners who have checked out the Michael Deacon program and listened to our shows. Um, If you're interested in anything that I've done, uh, if anyone is interested in my musical efforts, you can check out MikeHideous.com. That is M-Y-K-E, Hideous.com. You can also check out my art and photography, uh, which is also for sale, uh, both originals and prints, at Spy Man Photo and Art.com. There's a weird Spy pause Man right there. Art. Well, you know why? My bird is like making noises now that I'm talking. Uh, so I was trying to like. Oh, I not, see. Yeah, I didn't know if I was coming through. So once again, it's Spy Man Photo and Art.com. Lastly, if you are interested in uh, contacting me online through social media, you can reach me at facebook.com slash hideous. Mike, M-Y-K-E. Thank you, everyone. I had a great time tonight. Thank you, Michael. And uh, I'll talk to you soon, buddy. Talk to you soon, my friend. Good night. You have a good, you have a good weekend, okay? Bye-bye, brother. Bye-bye. All right. And there he goes, ladies and gentlemen. That was Mike Hideous, the one and only, yes, my co-host. He did draw assignment this evening, and he made us all proud. I did enjoy that, yes. International listeners out there, thank you so much for your support. And by the way, I had no idea Captain Doug Green was in Germany, Guten Morgen, to Doug Green. It's a morning time out there. Yes, lots of German listeners out there. I appreciate all of you. The Russians, the Canadians, uh, the folks in um, New Zealand, Australia. I see you out there. I appreciate all of you out there. And yes, those of you in the chat room right now, I see you, David and K-Dub and Lilith. And uh, Jess, I'm not quite sure I'm saying that right. And Lone Wolf and Kimberly and the End of Days Prophet. Yes, I do want to thank all of you for hanging out with us this evening. It's been a great time. I wish all of you the best of health. I wish you all the best in your future endeavors. Anyone out there listening to this, friend, foe, enemy, anyone who's wished me dead, you have the right to feel that way. All good with me. I appreciate all of you out there. But one, yes, and Rigo out there. Rigo Vasquez, I think that's his last name. I'm not quite sure. Can't really read from far. Oh, yeah, that was his last name. Yes. Thank you so much, Rigo. We appreciate all of you out there. And my God, what a show. What a show. And I did have more content to bring you, but we ran out of time, folks. Almost three hours. And uh, going to have to leave you with a bombshell here, folks. The next show, I will talk about a former guest, Jeffrey Prather. He is facing some very, very serious allegations, some sexual allegations. I'm not sure if they are accurate or not. I'm not quite sure. We will bring him in on a future episode to talk about these hellacious allegations that are made his way. And this is from uh, an episode that happened in Australia uh, many, many years ago. And, you know, I would like to talk to you more about that. But next show, I promise we will get into this. And holy shit, Jeffrey Prey, the, the last guy I thought would ever do something like this. So, you know, I'm blown away, folks. I am blown away by this. I, I, you know, my head is spinning just thinking about it. I have no idea what's going to happen. I have no idea if he's going to be on the show or not. I might not even tell him I'm going to bring up these um, hellacious allegations because he might not even want to be on the show if I tell him beforehand. So we might ambush him a little bit here. I know, so bad, so wrong. But it feels so right. 
I apologize for my cruelness, folks, but I have to be honest. I have to bring you the truth, no matter how bad it hurts. So once again, ladies and gentlemen, it has been a true pleasure and honor to sit here and broadcast for all of you. It's been three hours, and now it is that time to shut it down. Once again, thank you so much for being a part of the program. You know who you are out there. Thank all of you so much for helping me get this off the ground. You know who you are out there. Once again, stay safe, everyone. No matter where you are on this island of Earth, I'm Michael Deacon, and with that said, the world is a mysterious place, and life itself is a mystery. Until next time, 